Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Riven Andrew Velez. And this is now episode 113. In this episode, we are going to recap Washington's win over the Giants, ranking the recent NBA Hall of Fame inductees, reacting to Bleach Report's redrafts, Utah Jazz's title chances, talk about Kyrie Irving and Houston seeking out a trade for John Wall, a quick Patreon shout out to Matthew Jimenez, Sean Solis, Sean, Devon McCorn, Rice Family, John Pintabelli, Sean Triplett, Berno Hoops, Cat Stevens, Ben Mack, P. Dot, George Garcia, Hikari Mateen, and Jay Aqua. Thank you guys for supporting our Patreon. We really appreciate it. And because of you guys, we have decided to make a Patreon exclusive episode, which is going to be out sometime this week. We're going to record it today. It's going to yep. be out later on this week. If I can edit it fast enough, it'll be done as soon as possible. But we really appreciate it. And you can get access to that episode if you join our Patreon or join our YouTube membership. Regardless, you can pick which one you want to do, whichever is better for you. And don't forget to rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts so we can up those rankings. We're almost at 50 reviews. I think we're at like 45 right now. Okay. We need five five more more for 50. We're almost there. And I think this is going to be a great show. We're going to recap Thursday's thrilling game. I think Taylor Heineke shocked all of us and talk a lot of basketball and spark a lot of debate in this episode. Before we start, a quick word from our sponsors, The Daily Stakes. Most of the time when we bet, we aim for the stars, shoot for the dark, and hope our bet turns out correct. When you sign up with The Daily Stakes, that won't be the case. The Daily Stakes provides you with the same analytics used by professional sports bettors and sports books to give you the edge you need. You will have access to model projections, key stats, and confidence ratings so you can be educated with the bet you are making and feel comfortable with it. The Daily Stakes covers the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and the UFC. Another awesome feature the Daily Stakes has is that they host weekly contests that give you a chance to win an authentic sports jersey. And all you have to do is answer games that are going to be happening that current week. There are three types of memberships. The Sport Card membership gives you access to one league of your choosing and the features mentioned before for $14.99 a month. The All Sports Plan gives you access to all leagues they cover, the features mentioned before, and the ability to have a one-on-one session with the Daily Stakes team to guide you on your betting needs for $29.99 a month. And if you aren't sure about which one to choose, you can try the All Sports Trial, which is $6.99 a week and gives you all the features the All Sports Plan offers outside of the one-on-one session and the ability to enter giveaways. If you are interested in any of these packages, you can get a 30% discount code when you use the code PICKASIDE at checkout. That is P-I-C-K-A-S-I-D-E, PICKASIDE at checkout. The link to the Daily Stakes website will be in our description box down below. Okay, and we're back. And do you guys want to get straight into it, or do you guys have something to say? It feels like a commercial at the moment. We just wait, and then we're back. I'm ready to go, man. <laughs> we got some good topics. A pink shirt on. It's tough, though? It's a nice pink. Thanks. It kind of is a commercial. Every show. Yeah, yeah a, it is commercial. I'm going to start popping in with a new polo tee. You don't have that many colors. Oh. Never mind. Actually, exactly. You know Never mind. Thank you. Prove me wrong. What Thanks. colors do you have? Name it. Blue. Turquoise. I have I, and like Red. three colors. And like two. Turquoise. Military green. Turquoise, I actually might have. I do have. Military yeah. green. I do have. With an orange patch. Yellow. I have. Purple. Orange. Like two. Too many. Where Purple. do you Where do you buy it? Macy's? Uh, Polo Outlet. Uh, some, some Macy's. Uh, Century 21. Before it closed down. I don't know if it's still around. Uh, it's in the mall. 
Yeah, but I don't know if it's still open because I remember they were doing like a clearance sale. Oh. Everything's got to go. Uh, Marshalls. They got great deals. Marshalls has great, great deals. deals. Marshalls is tough. Those polo tees at the polo store, you probably get them for like 70 No, this is 25 At the polo outlet? Yeah. I mean, at Marshalls, it's usually that. At Marshalls, it's like low-key like 15 20. You, yeah, get a, you, you get probably get a deal at uh, Marshall, like oh, yeah. 30 or some shit. No, like that. but at Marshall's, you get the polo, like the buttons, I hate those. for like 25. Those are like 40, 50. Yeah, I used to shop at Marshall's a lot. I don't go there anymore, though. No, nah, I rep Ralph. That's my you know, guy. this uh, African guy in the corner to get my white tees and tank tops. Paid him $3. Finesse. <laughs> Gives me a very firm, very clean cut <laughs> white tee and a clean cut tank top. Okay. I usually go outside with no shirt. Is it branded? It's Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not brand. Nah, it's just when I go outside and I'm just thinking, this is a, a white tee day. Man, you just, just go take there. the clean I mean, tea. it's a white t-shirt. I mean, I know polo t-shirts. I have a bunch of polo white t-shirts, but the uh, the polo sign is on the bottom yeah. right corner of the shirt. I have those too, but I bought the wrong one. I bought the V-neck one. So it was kind of like, I I'm know, not wearing those. I'm you don't like V-necks? V-necks? None of you like V-necks? Nah, I do. I, like, I used I mean, to. I mean, I wear them. But I feel like I'm dying. Is that about to be my new thing? Just pulling up to the show with a new polo tee until I run out? Yes. I mean, maybe. I'm not a V-neck guy. Honestly, I can't wear V-necks at all. Really? Yeah. Why? I, I just you don't like uncom- to show the chest there, bro? It's uncomfortable for me. Come mm-hmm. on, bro. You just got to let your Because you got to make sure out. the collar is firm, and it's just like, I don't like it. No, nah, I like the V-necks because it shows my chain. You're annoying. But Why? You can just show your chain without putting I, your chain on. I know, but at the same time, I, I'm i not trying to you know overly expose my chain. Sometimes it's just nice to have it out. So you think somebody's just going to run up on you? <laughs> no, not even. But people recognize me by my chain sometimes. Like where I used to work, they'd be like, oh, you know, Andrew? No, I don't. The guy with the chain? I'm like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> so I'll take it. Yeah, I can't wear V-necks. You know, let us know if you guys wear V-necks in the comments down below. Because I think V-necks are uncomfortable as hell. But then again, I'm I'm fat. So, like, V-necks don't suit me. Yo, Not even. I mean, bro, you can wear whatever you want. I just feel like, I don't know. There's some There's some clothes for fat people that just don't. Fit. You think V-necks are those? I think V-necks are those. I think see you don't why see. He says it. You yep. don't why though? You don't see fat people with V-necks. You don't. You know what's funny? And now, if you I'm do, really they're probably thinking... Dominican. Yo, oh, that's wow, wow. <laughs> but yep. I, my Godfather, Dominican <laughs> V-neck. He, he's he's a heavy set guy. He's lost a lot of weight. Shout out to him. <laughs> he wears V-necks. <laughs> and he is Dominican. That's the only people I see. Only people I see with V-necks are like a little chubby, chubby on the side Dominicans, bro. <laughs> Be having a chain and stuff like that. <laughs> that's that's what I be saying. Low key him to a T, man. Yeah, there's there's certain clothes. That's why you know when you see fat people, the go to the go do clothing for fat people, hoodies always hoodies, sweatsuits always hoodies. When they wear like a sweater, mm-hmm. they don't they don't button it up. I mean, they don't zip it up. They leave it out. You know, that's the go to. So it's hoodies, having a sweater, a zip up sweater, but not zipping it up and leaving it out and hanging. And also not butting it up, butting it up, butting it, buttoning, buttoning uh-huh. jerseys. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that's such a tongue twister. Yeah, me. it is. It's the a weird. T's. It's a weird, weird word. Go to fit for skinny, skinny men like me. Uh, tank top, t-shirts, tight jeans, white beaters. Yeah, yeah. just to show out the skin. You know what I'm saying? The skinny and the thinness. Nike Tech shorts, Nike Tech sweats. Facts, but everything has yeah. to be tight. I mean, I, I'm I not a fan of skinny jeans personally. You're pretty. The guy, no you think homo. so? Yo, yeah, I'll take it. I went through a transformation because I used to be skinny, mm-hmm. and when I was skinny, my fits were I mean, I would wear jean jackets, you're iced, 
Yeah, I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I would my, my jean jackets. I have one. Those are never in. I have those. No, it's not even jean jacket. I wouldn't say jean jackets, but like I had a, I have a true religion jacket. It's it's okay. a size small, bro. Can't, it can't fit in. me true, at all. True, yeah, it was a true religion yeah. jacket, but it's it's like it's not a jean jacket. It's it's a green jacket. You okay. know, it's like it's dope. I have I have it around somewhere, but my go to fits were that. I would wear jeans. Like I don't wear jeans now, bro. It's either, it's sweats or nothing for me, or shorts or nothing for me. Right now, so I would wear jeans or like you know, go back to jeans. Pins. Why not? It's just hard, bro, because it's hard to go back to jeans because you got to get the width right and the height right. <laughs> yeah, you can like it's for me. It's I can find the width, but the height is where I mess up. Okay, because I can't find the width without finding like the height. It's so you just got to go to Macy's. Just have them put the thing around your waist, take the tape measure, go down your leg too. You just got to figure it out. Mine's like at 34, 33, somewhere around the line. I don't know either, but I just you cannot be a 34. Figure it out. Yeah, really. And you talk about lengths. What are you? I'm a 34 in length. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about your waist? Like a 30. I don't know. 34, 33 is the most comfortable for me personally. Do you know your length? It ain't, it ain't 30. Probably <laughs> <laughs> like a 25. I was 25. Skinny bitch. I'm skinny as hell. <laughs> 25 ways. Yo, oh, my D. God. You're bro, a snatch. Bro, bro. Oh, D. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, his waist is snatched. No, that's bro. all God, though. Skinny as hell. You got to start hitting the gym. No chest, all legs, bro. Bro. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? The Come on, bro. Place. You gotta start getting your squats up. We I'll just went out. on a tangent. Let's start the episode now. Let's go. Move your knee. A good a he, good way he, to start he the asked, episode. He asked, Do you wanna Move talk about listen? I'm the bigger setted guy here, all right, Move Mr. Twenty Five. You give me the space. Oh, come on, you money. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go. Turn it up. Thursday night game. This was a thrilling game. The it Giants was. faced Washington, and Washington beat the Giants thirty to twenty nine on a game winning field goal that should have never even happened because Dustin Hopkins missed the first one. Dexter Lawrence was offsides, and then he nailed the second one. Joe Judge post game said, "You know, I'm not going to blame Dexter Lawrence for that game. I think I have it in quotations exactly what he said. He said, "I'm not going to put this on Dexter Lawrence. He's a great teammate. He's a great locker room guy. He works his butt off. You know, this wasn't just on one guy. He can say that all he wants, but we know that." Of course, the Giants had a bunch of miscues. Darius Slayton dropped catch. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dexter Lawrence going off sides. And then the hold on a receiver that's slow on the depth chart that I don't even know his name on at Daniel Jones could have been rushing touchdown. But that one play did cost the Giants a game. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't happen, if he just stays still, the Giants win this game. And Dustin Hopkins, I was telling my dad when I was watching the game, he's an inconsistent kicker. He he's he's he can he can kick well, but he's inconsistent. You know, I don't know if he's gonna make it and he missed the first one. But this was a thrilling game. Daniel Jones had a lot to prove. He played very well. And the big story, in my opinion, in this game was Taylor Haneke. You know, he became a fan favorite in Washington after he performed great against Tampa Bay. They got Fitzpatrick, he was a starter, but now that he's down, Taylor Haneke stepped in and played somewhat well against the Chargers. And I guess the question people are asking right now, Washington Chargers. fans. Last week. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess the question people are asking right now, Washington fans at least, is did they find their answer at quarterback with Taylor Haneke? And That's such a loaded question, man. And, and what do you feel about just the game in general and how events transpired? I'll, I'll start with you, Drew. <clears throat> so I'm just going to talk about the game first before I go into Haneke. Well, Daniel Jones 
played just as good as Heineke. In my opinion, he played he he outperformed Heineke even though he did lose. Unfortunately, Darius Slayton did drop that ball. He did have that holding call that brought back his touchdown that would have put him over 100 rushing yards on top of the 250 passing yards that he already had. Who knows how it would have worked out. Maybe he would have had less because of the rushing touchdown. But regardless of that, this was one of the more perfect games I've seen out of Daniel Jones. Perfect, quote-unquote, obviously. Didn't have the perfect passer rating. But for his standards, he was passing the ball effectively, putting in spots that only his receivers can make a play. Sterling Shepard showed out. Uh, Kenny Galladay actually got it going for a little bit. But still want to see him break out. Obviously, only three receptions, 38 yards. Not that great, especially for a guy you paid. William Jackson locked him up. He he did lock him up. But that being said, William Jackson got burnt on that deep touchdown. I'm blanking on who. On Slayton. Yeah, exactly. Slayton Facts. But Slayton is, is a burner type wide receiver yeah. who just can get open down I mean, Kenny Galladay, he had three instances that I counted where he dropped the ball. I mean, that's what they say he did. But it was William Jackson that knocked it loose. Well, there was one in particular that... I just thought Daniel Jones lasered it in right to Galladay, hit right off his it. hand. Yeah, he, he dropped, dropped it. it. Yeah. But I, it was definitely a hard thrown pass, and maybe Daniel should have took some heat off. But you're a primetime receiver. You need to make that grab. Now, to talk about Washington, Heineke looked pretty damn good yesterday, too, other than the one Bradbury pick. And if I'm being real, that Bradbury pick was more on Bradbury than it was on Heineke. Heineke made a good read. Bradbury's break on the ball was spectacular. And Bradbury was getting beat all game long by Terry. And I, actually, in one of my fantasy leagues, Scary I'm, Terry, I'm a little man. upset. I sat Terry McLaurin for <laughs> Leonard Fournette Never and Jamar Chase. Well, last week, he was mediocre. And I guess that the, the Chargers secondary is solid. But Bradbury's like that. And last season, he locked up McLaurin. So I was expecting a part two. But yikes, he burned me. But regardless of that, as a whole, Washington looks solid. Uh, the run game, really, they didn't really need to run that much because the passing game was just whatever they wanted they could do. J.D. McKissick showed out. Uh, another person that you can't really count out on this offense as much as we think that Gibson's going to be the guy. McKissick's still going to get his love. Uh, Logan Thomas had, had a, a decent impact, 5 for 45, not that bad. Humphreys with seven receptions. That's something that probably is going to continue because he's that slot guy. Heineke was making the smart play. At one point, he was 16 for 20 early in this game. But this speaks more so to the Giants' defense right now. The Giants' defense right now is not it. And surprisingly, going into the season, I had them as a top 10 defense probably the way that they played last year. The defense carried them for a good portion of the season. They have majority of the guys that they had last year added a Dory Jackson to this mix. And a Dory Jackson played well yesterday too, but at the same time, as a whole, this defense is not clicking. They're not really getting to the quarterback. It's allowing the QB to have a lot of time to, to make whatever pass he wants. The corners haven't looked all too great. Logan, Logan Ryan has been all right, making a lot of tackles, but not stopping the ball from getting to the wide receiver. And to get to Heineke, he had, he had a very great game. But to say they found the quarterback for the future, I'm not willing to say that yet. He had an amazing showing. I would give him a, a pretty solid showing against the Buccaneers, obviously, given the fact that he had no real preparation for the game, kind of got thrown into the line of fire, played very well, and now in his first real start in the regular season against a solid, quote-unquote, solid defense, he did his thing throwing for over 336, or 300 yards, two touchdowns, and again, that, that interception, I'm putting it more in Bradbury making an impressive play. But to say that he found the quarterback of the future is a lot right now. I, I don't I don't like the way you put those air quotations over the Giants defense. I know that they didn't play their best game, but 
they're against still the Broncos, a, too. We lit a, them up. They're a formidable defense. They just still. haven't been playing like what they should. They're a that's formidable what defense. Two, two games into the season, I, think, I have concerns. I think Heineke playing good against them is a credit more to Heineke than to the Giants' bad defense. I actually had to check you on what you said because right. you said Terry got locked up last year by James Bradbury. Last year, seven receptions, 74 yards. Then his second matchup, seven receptions, 115 yards, a touchdown. But on I don't, Bradbury. I, I don't okay. I don't know what the matchup numbers were. They exactly. showed it during the game last night. Okay, I don't know what the match numbers are, but I know that Terry had great games against against both the times Giants. Against the Giants. Here, then I'll look at while you give your. <clears throat> I think the Washington football team did find the quarterback in Taylor Haneke, and it's more it's more no, about. I'm, I'm laughing before you even say anything. No, I know. Last what you're, I know show what you're he was. I'm not, not expecting anything. This guy Haneke stinks. Because I was. I never said he stunk, but, but you said no, you wasn't no, believe no. That's you, what you said. You I said I didn't believe in him because I had to see more. And versus the Chargers when he came in, I didn't think he made too many good plays. But having a week, not even a week, a short week to really you know get these reps in and then go play the Giants at home, I just think there's something to say about a team believing believing in you and your wide receiver having as much faith as Terry does in Heineke. Taylor Heineke, I think, should have been the starter all year. I know Fitz was supposed to, you know, kind of bring this team together, but Heineke has shown that he's not just going to be an Alex Smith that's conservative in the pocket. He's going to take shots. And watching his postgame interview, watching how he interacted with fans after the game and they had cameras on him to, you know, showcase that, I felt like, yo, wow, you know, Taylor Heineke, what a great story. I think this, I feel like what we all expected Taysom Hill to be is what Heineke's going to be. People thought Taysom Hill was going to be the starter after Breeze was gone and he was going to have this triumphant career. I think that's what Taylor Heineke's going to be right now. 336 yards, two touchdowns, one INT, 99.6 quarterback rating. And in the fourth quarter, he played his best football. The Giants go down and kick a field goal. And then in in 16 seconds, not even in, in 17 seconds, 56-yard pass to McKissick. Then an insane touchdown pass to Seals-Jones. Two plays, 17 seconds, and then Heineke scores. Then the next possession, the Giants end up as a, it ends up as a punt because Slayton drops the ball. Washington gets it back. And it just I just felt like his fourth quarter was amazing. And to lead a game-winning comeback against a division opponent, and I think this game was a must-win game, speaks volumes. Agreed. Chase Young, after the Tampa Bay game, was pointing at the back of his jersey and saying, this guy's the guy. It's Terry McLaurin doing the same thing. The fact that this entire team is rallying around Heineke, I think, speaks volumes. You know, I'm not going to speak on two, three, four, five years from now, but I just think he is their starter starting quarterback this season he's the future for them this season and they should ride this taylor heineke wave because i think it's more than just a short (coughs) stand i think it's more than just a kyle allen five and no run in carolina a couple years ago i think this is legit and taylor heineke I, i tweeted it yesterday during the game i said taylor heineke looks like at danes russ wilson When I saw Taylor Haneke, I said, wow, this looks a lot like a Russell Wilson, especially that pass to Seals Jones to take that risk to put the ball where only he can get it. Agreed. I thought that was next level special. That fourth quarter was 
awesome. And I do think Heineke should remain the starter. And I think he is their starter at quarterback for the remainder of the season. And this guy has an amazing story. I can't speak enough about it. I'm going to pump the brakes on the Heineke. I, like, I, I think, you know, you saying he's going to be the future for this season. You know, he should be the starter. You know, I agree. I think he's I, – I feel like the Tampa Bay game should have solidified him as a starter. But now this game only puts him further in that conference that he should definitely be the starter for them. For the Giants, I think they lost this game more than Washington won it. You know, I feel like they was in control most of this game's mistakes, penalties, bad decisions just throughout this whole game. Like, like you said, Dex Lawrence getting at offsides. That was his fault. Darius Slayton, the drop pass. Another thing that could have put them up, the penalty that led to – Daniel Jones not having that rushing, that big rush, that was another thing. I feel like Daniel Jones played amazing. I feel like all the mistakes was on the guys that weren't him. A lot of the mistakes was just the team being undisciplined. And I feel like, you know, the Giants, even in the fourth quarter, even there's just the one play where, you know, they got the interception. And I feel like in that that drive, they should have tried to score. They should have really, instead of running the ball, trying to kill the clock, that's a mistake. You got to punch them in their mouth. You got to try to go put the ball in the end zone, not try to rush, uh, waste time. The Giants just made too many mistakes, and they've looked like a team that is a little bit lost and a little bit out of character right now. Saquon still doesn't look himself. He still looks a little – he still doesn't look like Saquon, although the offensive line isn't helping him much. But I feel like Washington – and like you said, William Jackson was amazing – Secondary needs a little bit of help, though. Kendall Fuller didn't look right. Them safeties wasn't looking good. Aside from William Jackson, you can't really say anything too good about the secondary right now. That defensive line, of course, is going to be what it is. But with Heineke, you know, he played great. He played amazing. And I think he should definitely start this year. I don't know what's going to happen after this year, but he has put them in a position where you, you know, you talk about the Giants being a bad defense right now. Thank you. You said the Steelers would be out the top 10. I did. And they locked up the Bills. They did. And you said the Giants would be in the top 10. And they've given up big games against Denver and a backup QB from what we thought. Agreed. So I I know my defense. Yeah, the, the Giants aren't right looking now. too hot right now in defense. But Daniel Jones, he played amazing. And so did Heineken. You talk about the Giants winning this game more than Washington. Losing. I mean, losing this game more than Washington won it. Excuse me. I don't disagree with that sentiment completely because let's just talk about this. Giants miscues, special teams offside, which cost them the game, Slayton drop, the hold on the Daniel Jones rushing touchdown. Versus Washington, they had 11 penalties. That's the most under Joe Judge yep. since he's been in New York. And this play stuck out, this, this drive stuck out to me the most. It's not the two runs in a row that Jason Garrett called after the Bradbury interception, even though that was bad play calling. And Jason Garrett, to me, I've never been a fan of him as an OC. That wasn't what really I thought gave them the, gave away the game because I understand it. You know, he was trying to be conservative and not trying to, you know, get a turnover because I know Daniel Jones, even though he played a great game, there's still always that, you know, wild card yeah. with him. Driving the fourth quarter, Giants were up 23-17. to 17. The next drive, excuse me, it was 23-20. to 20. The Giants on third and five, five yards away from the first down. Penalties on Nate Soldier and Andrew Thomas makes it third and 15. All starts, yeah. And now they have to settle for a field goal and they're only up 26-20. to 20. In a moment where they could have been up a touchdown with under eight minutes left in the fourth, these penalties killed their entire drive and the momentum of that drive. 
I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, after the Giants did kick this field goal and make the and made the game twenty six to twenty, Taylor Heineke scored in two plays. It was crazy. Seventeen man. seconds. I mean, at that time, at that at the at that point in the game, I was watching it and I said, I don't know if Washington can score, you know, this quickly, because it was with four minutes left. I was like, because their offense hasn't been looking that explosive the entire game. And two plays later, 17 seconds later, they score a touchdown. I'm like, wow. And both were impressive passes. Exactly. That one to J- J.D. McKissick was no, placed he, perfectly in the he zone. Did that. It's just the, 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 the back-breaking interception. Like, I'm not saying it's I know his what fault. You're saying. I know but what it's you're like saying. you guys, and, and I understand Daniel Jones has, you know, concerns over turning the ball over. And I get it. You're trying to be conservative. But when are you going to trust in your quarterback to win you the game? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're in the you're in the red zone. Daniel Jones has been on fire all game. Why not give him that? You, you paid Kenny Galladay to be that guy. I agree with you. Yeah, and Kenny, he didn't play his best game. No. I agree with you with Daniel Jones and trusting him, that part. But this is Jason Garrett. Yeah. In Dallas, it wasn't until Kellen Moore took over when Dak Prescott started passing a bunch of times a game. When Jason Garrett was calling the plays, it was... We are going to feed Zeke, and we're going to run this ball, and we are going to be a conservative offense. And with the Giants right now, he's trying to do that with Saquon. But not but, really. But their offensive line just isn't yeah. good enough to exactly. hold up. Correct. So he, the way he wants to call an offensive game doesn't fit the personnel he currently has. Agreed. And another narrative that popped out there was Washington's defense. I don't think their defensive line got much push last night. Chase was getting double team. Montez Sweat was their best pass rusher, in my opinion. And Jonathan the Allen defense, played well as well. Yeah, and the, and the defense with St. Just, he's a young corner. He's a rookie. He's going to ease into the game more. But I'm not worried. You know, Washington last year, they had six games, six games or more, where they gave up 30-plus points or more. So it's not like last year their defense was this lockup team. They had six games where they gave up 30 points or more. Mm-hmm. This wasn't over 30. It was at 29 points. But, you know, it's close to it. I'm not worried about Washington's defense, and I'm not worried about the Giants either. I think they have good enough personnel to keep it afloat. The Adorier Jackson, I think, did bolster their secondary. Sure. I don't know about a top 10 defense. I'll say more like top 15. Cause Last I think, year, I'm pretty sure they were around that top 10. So that's yeah. why I figured they added personnel. They would probably They lost be Davin Thomason, though. Very which true. Was, which was huge. And I found the, the Terry McLaurin-Bradbury stat. So... On their previous three matchups, McLaurin was held to only two receptions, 16 yards, and Bradbury had an interception when when, he, when, when Bradbury lined up with McLaurin. But yesterday, he was lined up on 83% of his routes, catching five to seven targets for 47 yards and a touchdown. But he did have an INT. I mean, I wonder what that was, though. I mean, you know, Bradbury, shout out to him last year. He had a great year. For sure. That was the first great corner year of his career. Though. I agree wholeheartedly. You no, know, so... I think Terry McLaurin is going to win every match going forward. You think so? Every? I do. I do think so. Would you so. say he won specifically yesterday's matchup? Without a doubt. But Bradbury did have an amazing, timely I mean, interception. That, that interception was good. 43 yards? In no, a TD? He, he definitely did his thing on him. I don't uh, It was all I right. I mean, exactly. To definitely say he won is... I mean, well, no, you can say he definitely say he, won. He won. Def- he won. I'm pretty sure he won. all 100 yards were on Bradbury. No, I just told no, he you. he just told you. Five receptions, 43 yards. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, TD. That's no, a he lot. won. He won the matchup. I, I wouldn't say definitively, yeah. but he won the matchup. Five receptions, forty-three yards, and one of the touchdowns was he. Exactly. Bradbury got him. He beat him. Bradbury, when, when he Bradbury beat him. was playing outside leverage, and the Bradbury, ball was behind but, McLaurin. But so, Bradbury got a pick. Exactly. So it's like it cancels out the TD. No, nah, yeah, because nah. yes. that was in the clutch. He, got, was in the he cl- got the pick, but he got, got the pick because I believe it was just Taylor Heineke. 
No, Taylor Haneke sat. He knew he was going with, going with the ball there. Everybody knew okay, that. Okay, agreed. But at the same time, you can't Bradbury take that away still from had Bradbury. an amazing. That was, a, that was an amazing catch. Amazing I jump on like the ball. I feel like it was on the other receiver, or it was on it was, it was on one of them. It was I McLaurin. Think, yeah, running into his guy. No, <laughs> McLaurin <laughs> ran a curl. That was it. That was the route. No, Jumper. but he ran into one of his receivers that led him to led the timing of the throw to be off. I don't think so. But regardless of that fact. It was a really good matchup between the two. McLaurin and I think McLaurin up. won this matchup. Without fair enough. A doubt. I mean, fair. I, you I don't have think that. Bradbury won it. I don't. I'm not saying Bradbury won it. To say definitively, he definitely won. Well, I think it is definitively. I, I don't know. So you think it's a tie? Uh, not a tie because obviously. So if it's not a tie, then McLaurin won definitively. Though he won, but Bradbury push. made the best play out of both. Of them. I am. I think so. The clutchest play out of both of them. I agree. Team just couldn't catch. Another question, and we'll talk about this really quick because obviously we got a long show. Saquon, are you guys concerned at all? I'm always, I'm not I'm not concerned because it's it's not nah, because their offensive line has always been bad and he okay. still was able to do you mm-hmm. know do Saquon things. But it I gets agree. it gets to a point where you know you need you need to get some offensive line help because a running back can't do it all the time for, for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, it does I do feel like it looks like he's still not a hundred percent yet. And to to continue off that, and then I will get your thoughts too. This is his preseason, really. Yeah. So. The first two games, first game we really saw him definitely ease in. Yesterday we saw him get 84% of snap counts, which you love to see. But at the same time, I want to see them give him more than 13 carries. I want to see him use in the past game like he was to a degree yesterday more so. Daniel Jones has always struggled seeing the checkdowns, but he's never had Saquon Barkley as his running back. Understandably, he needs to see the ball. So I'm not too concerned given the fact that obviously he wasn't a factor in the preseason training camp. He had he was non-contact up until the first game in Denver or a few, like a few days before the game in Denver. Yeah. So I'm not overly concerned, but at the same time, I want to see his volume continue to increase. I think right now it's too early to be concerned about anything yeah. Saquon related because he's easing back into the game. And For sure. It's not you can't just turn a switch on. That's why you have the preseason but I had this thought the other day. Well, I had it yesterday, actually. And at one point in time, Saquon Barkley was definitively the star of the New York Giants. Max Kellerman even went on a first take and said, this guy can be the best running back of all time. He was a second overall pick. He got hyped up that way. And then he had an injury, torn ACL. And I think if if Saquon doesn't go back to... I mean, I'll even say it. I think Saquon right now, we view him as a what if. Because when we talk about Saquon, what if he had a good offensive line? What mm-hmm. if he didn't tear his ACL? I think about we that view is- him, but let me yeah, finish. Yeah. We view him as a what if. Who's another player that used to play for the Giants that we view as a what if right now? Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. had a fantastic start to his career then his numbers and production started to dip more. Then he got injured. He was riddled with injuries. And now, and now we view Odell rookie. as a what if. Odell used to be a guy we talked about as he's a top five, top ten receiver in the league. Right now, I think most people, even if he was healthy, we wouldn't put him in a top fifteen. You know, Ooh. I think I think Odell nowadays he's right. Nowadays Odell he's Beckham, right. Odell Beckham, the Giants' former star is now viewed as a what-if, and Saquon Barkley, if his career doesn't get on the right track, he will also be viewed as a what-if. And that's the thought that I had. Two guys that used to be at the cornerstone of the Giants franchise and why the fans had hope are now viewed as players that 
man, what if their careers could have turned out a bit different? Hold on, I mean, hold on. I, 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 just because he said Odell, yeah. kind of I wanted to speak on Odell too. Got and it. the thing before, I had a question because we talk about and not as a rookie. I just said I didn't, second I, year he was basically he had more yards actually, 150. No, yeah, more. the start to his career was amazing. No, he said it started, to, but then he still the, the dip is where I kind of have a little bit of pushback he from Cleveland. Did dip. Cleveland for sure because obviously and Baker Mayfield is Giants too. Disagree. He missed three games. Had over a thousand yards and six touchdowns. But he he had a season season ending injury with the Giants. No, in 2018, he played twelve games. Excuse me, he played twelve games. He had one hundred twenty four targets, seventy seven receptions, a thousand fifty two yards, six touchdowns. So it's not like he he had a bad season. He missed four games, still put up over a rack and six touchdowns. With missing four games, that's in, that's a very impressive line. No, look this. He had 2017 had an ankle sprain and fracture. That's 2017, yeah. He missed the season opener. He missed the season opener, but returned to the field perhaps too soon and played the next four games. Then in week five, Beckham sustained a fracture of the same ankle. Yes, the injury required season-ending surgery, mm-hmm. forcing him to miss the final 11 games. In 2017. That was 2018, 2017. No, that was 2017. That was 2017. Yeah. So, but I'm talking about 2018. Coming back, from no, but that I'm injury, saying, he was but I'm saying impressive. the injury he sat out for the entire year. So Odell has had these injuries that have ruined his entire season. Then going to Cleveland, had a season injury, season ending injury sure. as well. For sure, Odell has become a what if player. I mean, to a degree, he, I he agree. was supposed to be. He was supposed to be by far a top five receiver in the league by now. But there's 15 receivers better than Odell, maybe statistically, at, but at, better at, than him. At this point in time, I understand where he's coming from, talent wise. Potential wise, I get you have to put him in the top fifteen. That's but off tough. numbers, I, he's right. Yeah, uh, off just, numbers, he's right. Yeah, numbers. But I'm Would saying, you just put look, Justin Jefferson over Odell? Hell yeah. Yeah, right now you gotta he's different. But I, Justin I Jefferson's like barely cracking the top ten. Barely. Yeah, there's a lot of talent. I don't know. I, I don't Would know. you put? Okay, it's hard. Fifteen Tyree, better than Odell. There's a lot of talent. Would you put DK Metcalf or AJ Brown over Odell? I probably put DK probably eight. Numbers, both. numbers yeah. wise, I guess. I guess exactly. I guess, numbers yeah. wise, you if you if you want run receiver to start your team with, you're taking but those two guys and roll down right because of, of his injuries. I know exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm exactly. saying. But I'm saying like, but, that, but we're talking. That's what I'm now. saying. If you look at it from just a, a talent perspective, I don't think 15 I'm not guys gonna, better. I'm not going to hate on Odell, bro. I've seen Baker throw balls behind Odell. Odell's too fast off the route. Baker does not hit him in stride. It's really bad sometimes. But when we saw last season, Odell go out. Baker played with. With yeah. Juice, with Rashad Higgins, he made these guys look very good. It's something about when Odell plays, Baker's not it's the just best. It's the timing of their chemistry is off. But what I'm saying is that Tyreek Hill, Devontae yeah, Adams. Obviously. A.J. Brown, I know, is not top top three, but I'm still going to mention him yeah. right, right here. D-Hop. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, D.K. Julio. Metcalf, Julio Jones, even though he, he's had, he was bad. Justin um, Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Uh, just would you say of, Mike Ter- Evans? I would say Ty- Terry McLaurin. Mike Evans, would you say him? Chris Godwin. I will put Chris Godwin over Mike Evans, so that's why I say Chris Godwin first. Okay, Antonio, Antonio Brown, the way he played in Week One, I'll put Antonio yeah, Brown over. I him. agree. Okay, so uh, think about other teams. I mean, Cooper Cup or Robert Woods. Oh, all that's, right. That's you a, that's you a yeah, yeah, not, that's Now we're, that's now we're getting crazy because I'm thinking Adam Thielen's probably in that same. Oh, class Adam with, Thielen. Okay, you're ta- I'm saying in that same class with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Oh, that's I, where I don't know. It's close. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it, just let's just think of other teams. Ridley. Yeah, yeah, I would Cal probably, really, t- yeah. but he looked rough week one against. No, 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 not a week one. Let's stop with the week one. Just I'm just saying, uh, last season, it's one week. But he had one year. That's fair. Really had one year. 
Stefan Diggs, we missed yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. That's, we knew without yeah, that's, that's twelve the right one. there. So just think about like he could still Keenan Allen. Yeah, yeah you got to take Keenan. I'm yeah. just I'm thinking about the AFC West right now. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned Keenan Allen from the Chargers, Denver, Tyreek. I don't. Did you say Tyreek? Yeah, I did mention him. Denver, no. Las Vegas, the Chiefs. No, are you taking Allen Robinson over Odell? Yes. yes. Okay. Michael Thomas. Damn, yes. that's fifteen. Healthy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Let's see who else. That's fifteen. No, they'll really fill out. He not. I mean, it's it's that's even cool. even being top twenty. It's a debate. Amari Cooper. Yeah, that's sixteen. Odell right now on this PFF list is eighteen. Oh, wow, Odell really fell off the wagon. That's man. what I'm saying. We're viewing Odell and Saquon as what ifs. Yeah, that's crazy. Damn, but uh, pro- he's like, probably like sixteen, seventeen though. If healthy, I mean that's if healthy, I'm I'm putting him. I in feel the like t- a lot of guys are just better than him because he's unhealthy. Baker is just bad. I mean that's cons- that's considering that Odell comes back to how Damn. he was before. Damn, that's crazy. I like Odell too. He's still in like a down year with the with the Browns in his first I'm season. I'm not giving him Cooper and Thielen. No, 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 I'm not giving them that. Either. Robert Woods, no, no. You're not I think that Dylan is closer than you think. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. But I'm, but I'm saying that he's in me, that bro. class with Cooper with Woods. He's probably the best out of those three, in my opinion. But at the same time, I just don't think he's Odell. I just I think, think he's another. What Cooper. about Brandon Cooks? No. Yeah, you gotta stop. I get, no, I'm not. What do you mean uh, uh, you gotta uh, stop? Brandon Cooks has five, every year. six yeah. seasons of a thousand yards every year. Come I get on, it. I get it's close to what you. I'm think. putting Odell in that Amari Cooper class. Not even going front to you. I'm putting him in that class. Amari, he's not better, but I'm, I'm putting him in that Amari class. Amari after this season could easily be in top five conversation. And what about CD Lamb? You know, if we think he's going to make that superstar jump, I'm not ready yet. I'm not, not ready, ready yet. yet. He not yet. The but he, what about Jamar Chase? You know, he's coming. He's coming. He's bro. coming. Devonta Smith is coming. Judy so, I mean, is coming. We're doing oh, uh, come could. on, yeah. But we're talking about right now. Yo, Odell's so. coming back, bro. He'll be yeah, back. He should be, He'll back, be back, man. It's, he's actually on my fantasy. I'm telling he's you right again. now, it's Baker. Baker is the problem. I don't know. You think so? I, I, I think bro, I, his I like passes. Baker looked good. He, he's looked good for sure. Without Odell, he looks fine to me. Without Odell, I agree. But something with Odell. Send him over. Gets a little Philly. nervous when he throws Send him the him ball. Send him to Philly, bro. We we'll get him right. Yo, some him. some breaking news that I think shocked a lot of us football fans yesterday that came out was that the Indianapolis Colts are going to have a camera crew following them around during the season, Extremely and it's going lit. to be a hard knocks during the season documentary style thing. So it's basically what they do in the preseason, just in the regular season. This reminds me of All or Nothing. If people have watched it on Amazon Prime, I've watched it before. I watched the Carolina Panthers one, and I think the Philadelphia Eagles had one as well. So this is Carson Wentz's second time basically being followed around with the camera crew during the season. And what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on this documentary-style thing? I feel like they just want to – I don't know, because it's like the Colts aren't haven't been an exciting team ever since luck left and up until now with Wentz because of the fact of the story that follows Wentz and the media that follows Wentz. Like, what is he, how is he going to do? You know, is he going to be that same guy? So I think with that media being there, they just want to get the inside scoop on really how Wentz performs this year. Cause that's really all eyes is on him in Indianapolis, you know? And since that, that first week, you know, they, they kind of lost to the Seahawks. They did damage, but I feel like the media is just really trying to go in depth on the Colts and seeing how training looks for Wentz, how he practices, you know, seeing what the – because they've, they've had a couple fights that's been reported in training camp also too. Okay. So I think that it's really just because of the media that's portrayed the Colts and it's been more more media this summer than it's been in a while. No, I mean, I, I think about hard knocks and all the times I 
finish the the fifth episode and they make the cuts and I just think, man, I really wish they would do this during the season. It'd be exciting to see how different it would be from obviously the the heartbreak of seeing these guys that you you grow you know some kind of bond with watching some uh, you you root for these guys and ultimately at the end they do end up getting cut unfortunately or making the practice squad you want to see them make the team it's like this most recent Cowboys hard knocks uh, Azur Kamara in my opinion watching his his game and his story he seemed the worst out of all the guys that they were trying to 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 push off to these guys uh Danucci he looked he probably was the worst obviously he played really bad uh I don't want to blame I don't want to say his name incorrectly. The running back, I don't want to say it's Hasty. Hasty's on on the San I know who you're talking about. It, it, the goggles guy. Uh he he looked really solid in preseason and in training camp. Obviously had some some uh some bad moments. The the O-lineman, another one. Uh he he's from Mexico. He's one of the first Mexican-born players yeah, in man. the NFL. It's just really good stories that you hear and ultimately they end up, you know, getting cut or making the practice squad. But Azor, he looked the worst, and he was the one that actually ended up making the roster. So now you see it translated into the actual regular season. You actually get to experience the coaches and how they game plan for for real games on Sundays. I just think it's a new, interesting dynamic that fans have been wanting for a while, and it's not as much heartbreak as it is knowledge and learning about the game. In my opinion, if they are going to do a midseason hard knocks, I feel like they should follow the team they were documenting during the during training camp and the preseason. It makes the most sense. When we watch Hard Knocks, we be, we become invested in these players for and, sure. and on on for, and on this team. You know, we become invested in the team. Why strip that away and not follow them throughout the season? I wish it it it'd be better if they do that. But the Colts were the pick, and you mentioned the storyline of of Carson Wentz. I'll be honest, you know, Carson Wentz reviving his career, I think people are looking forward to seeing if it's going to happen or not. But personally for me, that's one of the more uninteresting stories of the season. Like if Carson Wentz revives his career, cool. If he doesn't, whatever. Like I'm not that invested in that storyline. I would much rather them go and document the Green Bay Packers to see what's what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and, and that team. Or the L.A. Rams and Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay and the energy around that building. I would much rather see something like that. The Colts were an okay pick. I agree. But I don't think that, you know, am I going to be tuning in because it's the Colts? I'm not that interested, personally. Mm-hmm. I'm not that interested. Maybe if it was Arizona with Kyler Murray and D-Hop and, you know, these these great explosive players, I would be more in tune. The Colts, I'm not that interested in. And I, I'll probably watch a couple episodes, but I don't think I'll be really invested in it to compare to what you're saying about you know the team choice and it could be it could be better they chose the Raiders and I watched all five episodes the Raiders aren't the most interesting team in my opinion right now storyline team wise he is entertaining and obviously learning the game from John Gruden's perspective seeing how he calls an offense is entertaining but it's not a team like you mentioned the Cowboys was an amazing choice you said the Oh my God! Tell me the teams you just named. Obviously, I'm just blanking right now. The Rams, the Rams, Packers, obvi- Packers really would have been Cardinals, good. Cardinals would have been solid. Even the Ravens would have been solid. The Seahawks, Seahawks would have been really good too. Even the Bears and the Justin Fields thing going yep, on there. Yep. That would have been amazing. Document. There's just a few other teams that right now are more intriguing to the regular fan. But 
I, I, I like I like the decision to to give us this this in season perspective. Colts are going to be an interesting team to show us too because we really don't know. Uh, you know, a regular fan doesn't know too much about what's going on in the Indianapolis locker room or what's going on and with the team as a whole. So it'll be it'll be good to to learn some things about about that the Indianapolis Colts, but there could have been a better choice. But Hard Knocks, they documented the Cowboys in, in training camp in preseason. The Cowboys have been on Hard Knocks two times before that time. Each of the times they've been on Hard Knocks, they have not made the playoffs. <laughs> so Demarcus Lawrence being out, um, losing Lyle Collins for a couple games because of suspension. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying the Cowboys probably not going to make the playoffs this year, and Philadelphia <laughs> is going to make it. Hey, Washington with Heineke look really good, man. I get it, but he's not Jalen Hurts. Well, we got Niners this week, man. Uh, it's going to be a close game. You're all in on Hurts? I'm all in on the Eagles. I like Hurts. I don't think he's uh, like a top quarterback or he can be that, but I like Hurts. He's a good leader. And your toast on the Giants? Uh, I'm done with the Giants, yeah. yeah. Fair I mean, enough. Yeah, I mean, my team this year is the, are the Eagles. Okay. Last so year. Last year in the NFC East, it was off. it was Washington. Who fell off? You. Why? On the Eagles. I think we're going to be bad. You said the Cardinals were your team this season. But I didn't say the Eagles. No, the Eagles are still my favorite team. I'm saying the Cardinals. When we were talking about who's our sleepers, I'm saying the Cardinals. Um, guys likely Ryan story. Likely story. I mean, last year, I picked Washington when everybody was like, oh, hell no. You know, I said, Chase Young, they're going to be a top defensive line in the league. They did that. Made the playoffs. Alex Smith, my guy. Comeback player of the year. I love Alex Smith. Cried during his documentary about his leg. That shit hurt me. Yeah. And yeah, get a grip. <laughs> <laughs> bro almost lost his leg. Have some nah, sympathy, that, bro. That was a. I have it to was, see it, though. It was traumatizing. It. Nah, you don't need to see it's it. It's called Project 11. It's really a lot. I want to see it. Uh, right. Alex Smith, man, he's a, he's a warrior. I'll be at work like 16 hours. I need stuff to watch. So Now, it's definitely an interesting watch. And then this year, my team is the Eagles. Everybody slept on. The NFC East, the thing about that division is that, or even football, every year there's a team in a division that goes from worst to first. Every single year in football. Who was it last season? Because I don't Washington. know. Washington. First? Oh, you mean the division? Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Okay. Washington. Yep. I think Washington was that last year and two years before that, San Fran. Yep. You're right. Yeah, yeah for so sure. Every year, a team's went from worst to first. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So this year, it's going to be the Eagles. Were they the. No, we were before last year, we won the division two years in a row. Giants also were last in that division last season. No, they weren't. Because they were Giants had a better pick. year before. Oh, you're 100 percent right. Because yeah. I forgot the Eagles traded they, back. Giants and then came they in second. Up. Cowboys yep. third. Eagles fourth. Yeah. So that would be worse to first. So yeah, Philadelphia. Fly Eagles, fly. Better hope because we got Niners, Bucks, Chiefs, Panthers. Our next, next up four. coming games. Listen, next I think four. The, I, I stop. The I mean, Eagles you can you can win the week. division at eight and nine. No, I know, but those, those four That'd right be there. Crazy. This, and this, this, those four are gonna really test hurts. Like, yeah, this. but then you face. There's a stretch where you face the Jets and the but Lions. That, that's that's something I'm not. And I'm Washington not gonna, looked good against the Chargers, a solid team in the NFL. All you need so. to do is win games. You don't need to beat best teams. Yeah, but I'm not gonna sit there. I and, don't think eight and nine wins a division. You don't think so? No. I like I said, I Washington looked really good against the Chargers, who are a top. You want to see Washington's upcoming schedule? I do. But those are the games Bills, that are really good. At Bills, open. Saints, Chiefs, Packers, Broncos. Jesus Christ. Bills, Chiefs, Saints, Saints Packers, Packers Broncos. Broncos. They could pick up a win or two there. I mean, they could, but yeah. that's a gruesome schedule. Yeah, it is tough. It's gruesome. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Next four. This is what I'm really. Then who's after win. the Broncos? Because 
obviously there's more than I just, don't know. I didn't I didn't go that far. Uh, smart because yeah. it's probably trash. I don't know if it's trash or not. I mean, they have a first place division schedule. So Wait, so if Hurts plays like garbage, not garbage, he plays bad next two games. Are you gonna jump off the bandwagon? He's not gonna play bad. I don't think he'll play bad either. Jackson. I don't think so, Mucus man. <laughs> Mucus man. Because we're playing the uh, the Bucks. Are oh, he plays bad. the. They do play the Bucks after the Broncos. Then they play the Panthers, Seahawks, Raiders, Cowboys. Eagles, Cowboys again, Eagles, Giants. Ooh. NFC East, basically. Yeah. It's going to be tough end of the year. For real. So we're going to move on to the next topic, and now we're going to move on to a basketball topic. The recent class of Hall of Fame inductees were selected to be Hall of Famers, and I'm going to mention the NBA players, so sorry, Jay Wright and the coach and the WNBA players. My apologies. But this is a show about ranking these guys and who who – is the best one that we thought was inducted. Chris Bosh, Chris Weber, Paul Pierce, Ben Wallace, and Tony Kukoc were all the recent inductees. We can all agree Kukoc is last, right? Yeah. Uh, Kukoc is last. Okay, so we don't even got to get So let's rank these from one to five. Who's the first, second, third, fourth, fifth? I'll start with you, Riv. Well, I've been a big advocate of Ben start Wallace. Start from five. Five down. I've been a big advocate of Ben Wallace getting to the Hall of Fame for a couple of years now. I've just been very confused as to why he hasn't got in. Hopefully, sure. Chauncey get in soon. But um, I got Wallace at five. Other yeah. than Coach. Yeah, I'm not even mm-hmm. counting So him. four. He's oh, at four. Oh, I thought that, okay, so That's I got right. Coach at mm-hmm. five. Ben Wallace at four. I think, you know, he's one of the greatest defensive players. God bless, bless you. Thanks. He's one of the greatest defensive players we've ever seen. I called you Mucus, man. You'll be all right. But offensively, he... Virtually didn't have any. I mean, he was a great screen pick and roller, but that was pretty much it. So I got Ben Wallace at four. Third, I got Chris Bosh. You know, I think Chris Bosh was really good. You know, he was one of those guys who walked into the league could shoot, could step out and shoot the jump shot. He was a solid offensive player. But at two, Chris Weber, he was just people really forget Chris Weber's career. He was really good with the Kings, even with the Golden State Warriors. He was a beast, a twenty and ten guy consistently. He was on those teams with Sacramento where they was giving LA hell. So I got him at two, but I got Paul Pierce at one. You know, people, you know, he, I know he's a meme, and people like to make fun of him because his takes absolutely suck. Mm-hmm. But before the takes, even before KG and Ray Allen, he was a beast. He was a bucket. Him and Antoine Walker used to get it in, get buckets for Boston. And even during those runs, he used to give LeBron fits in the playoffs. He used to give Kobe fits. He used to give Orlando fits. He was a clutch shooter. And he's a finals MVP. So I got to go with Pierce at one. You can give your list because. So I think are all of us going to have 5-3 basically the same? Yeah. You have Bosch third? I do. So me, I have Kukoc five, Wallace <laughs> yeah. four, Bosch three. Chris Weber's number one for me. Paul Pierce is two. It's close. It is very it's close. close. Chris Webber is number one for me. And before I go on to it, you know, Ben Wallace, four-time defense player of the year, six-time all-defensive team, five-time all-NBA, four-time all-star, a year he averaged 15 rebounds per game. And that was back when the NBA was much tougher, not like these Andre Drummond rebounds now. And Tony Kukoc, Tony Kukoc, <laughs> I think, was is arguably the worst player on this list. Arguably? Well, he is the worst player on this list. He made the Hall of Fame because of his international status. But when we're talking about his NBA career, sixth man of the year, all-rookie team. Champ. And, and that's all of his accolades. You know, three-time NBA champ. His best season came when he averaged 19 points per game after the Bulls won their third championship. With Jordan left. Exactly. And the Bulls finished 13-37 and 37 that year. Coach was... Uh, 
I don't know why he made the Hall of Fame. You know, Mintz, you know, you can't tell the story of the NBA without him because he played for the Bulls. But realistically, <laughs> should he have made it? I, I don't think so. I, I'm kind of pushing back on that. But shout out to him, international player. He was great overseas in Croatia. Then we talk about Chris Bosh. And Chris Bosh is a guy that is he's had a weird career because his best season, he averaged 24 and 11, but he didn't make the playoffs in Toronto. Then he was a part of the big three in Miami. That's what he's most known for. And the first year in the playoffs in Miami, he averaged 19 and 9. He looked like a great player, but then years after, he became much more of a defensive oriented big man. He averaged 14 points per game in those playoff runs. One eleven time All Star, one time All NBA, two time NBA champ. Is that really a Hall of Fame career? He averaged twenty a good amount of his well, seasons. Eleven time All Star, one time All NBA. Eleven time All Star is Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, and his career got cut short. That's eleven years being an All Star. His yeah. second That's a to lot. his second to last year, he averaged twenty one. That's fair. But this is about Chris Webber and Paul Pierce. Really, when we rank these players, <laughs> I agree. It's about do you think Chris Webber is better than Paul Pierce or vice versa? And I think Chris Webber's peak was better than Paul Pierce's. You know, Strong. Chris Webber, when we talk about their accolades, Paul Pierce has more All-Stars. He has 10 All-Stars to Chris Webber's five. But Webber has more All-NBA teams, five to four. Mm. And Paul Pierce has no All-NBA first team. And mind you, Chris Webber was playing in the West with Tim Duncan, with Kevin Garnett, with Dirk Nowitzki. And he was winning these all NBA first team. So you just gonna not say Paul Pierce is playing with LeBron. He's playing with T Mac. Like you just gonna forget that part. T Mac was a guard. T Mac was a three. He was a guard. T Mac was a three. He was. A he guard. was playing with Vince Carter too. You forget that. I was gonna say Vince. He wasn't good in Toronto, bro. <laughs> what do you mean? You said he was playing with Vince Carter. When you play with Vince Carter, he averaged eight points per game. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like in the East, bro. Okay, in the East. Vince Carter was a two though. What the, yo? Come nah, on, bro. Let's go, bro. When you rank the top shooting guards from 2000, Vince Carter's on that list. Is he really? Yeah, he's not. He's not a three. Later on in his career, he With became a three. No, not in Jersey. In Orlando, in uh, Phoenix, he became a three. But he was a two for the majority of his career. Continue, continue. Search up top shooting guards of the 2000s. You'll see Vince Carter on there. How quickly I forget, man. But Chris Webber, I think, had a better peak than Paul Pierce. You look at. I actually, I ranked their peaks, right? So Paul Pierce's peak was from 2000 to 2004. Chris Webber's rose from 99 to 03. I'll talk about Chris Webber first. He averaged 25, 11, and 5 with one and a half steals and blocks per game in those four seasons. Shot 48% from the field, 24% from three. And in that four-year stretch, he lost to the Lakers in the first round in, in 99 in 2000 season. The best player on his team was Jason Williams. Then a then the year after that, 2000-2001 season, lost to the Lakers again in the second round. His second best player was Pedro Sajakovic, who's a good player. He didn't get Mike Bibby until his third year in that four-year stretch. Mm -hmm. And when he did get Mike Bibby, they lost to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, seven games, 0-1-0-2 season. And that is infamously known as a point in time in the NBA history where that game was rigged. And if Sacramento had beat the Lakers, they would have won the NBA Finals, no doubt about it. And Chris Webber would play that year. The Lakers. Oh, the, who the Lakers played that year. It was Indiana? if it wasn't if it wasn't the Nets, it was Indiana. It was oh two or one. Oh one oh two. Nets. So they would have definitely handled. They would have handled the Nets. 
And Chris Webber would have won a championship after beating a juggernaut Lakers team. And then that last year, they faced the Mavericks in 0203 and lost in the second round. Paul Pierce's best four-year stretch, he averaged 25-7-4, um, 0.7 blocks per game, 43% from the field, 35% from three. He missed the playoffs in 2000-2001, made the ECF in 0102 and lost to the Nets. And Antoine Walker was the second-best player, averaging 20 points per game. Lost in the second round in 2002-2003 and lost in the first round in 0405. To be fair, Paul Pierce's teams were trash. Outside of Antoine Walker, when he started to dwindle down, his best players were Ricky Davis and Chucky Atkins. They were trash. Mm -hmm. But I just think when you talk about Chris Webber, the way that he transcended the power forward position, he not only was a guy who can give you 25 points per game a night, along with 12 rebounds, but he was somebody that was probably one of the better high post players in NBA history. And the way he can pass out of the post was next level. He was a point guard playing the power forward position. I think he's one of the first guys outside of a few, of course, that I'm missing. You know, like when we talk about the Grand Hills who transcended to position playing point forward. Chris Webber was a part of that category of being a guy who can be your forward, who can be your big man, but can play the point guard. He was averaging five assists per game in his peak. And I tell you that, you know, I told you that Chris Webber has 10, has five all-stars to Paul Pierce's 10 Chris Webber missed, he, he didn't get inducted into the All-Star game like six times when he averaged 20 and 10. Mm. So realistically, Chris Webber should have been an All-Star multiple times because he was fantastic in Golden State, but Sacramento really changed his career. Now was the peak of his career. But in my opinion, I'm going with Chris Webber. I think, of course, Paul Pierce, because he played for the more storied franchise and he had a hell of a career. He's uh, more of a big name. But I think Chris Webber at his peak, if I'm building a team, Pierce or Webber, I'm taking Chris Webber. I want to double down. Pardon me. Team Mac and VC were actually two guards. I know I they were. I know they were. Mm, I apologize. So I look crazy. It, my bad. My this bad. is tough. It's it's kind of like pulling straws. They're pretty similar in the sense of both were really great defenders. Webber has the, the advantage of defensive rating by one. Okay. Thank you. But it's very close. Uh, um, Webber's 101. Uh, and Paul Pierce is 102. Obviously, Weber gets the edge rebounding-wise. He was the bigger guy size-wise. But then, obviously, Paul Pierce was the better shooter. At one point in time, Paul Pierce was the king of the three-point shot, all that. But he was really solid. The reason why I lean Paul Pierce is because he got his career going early, earlier, in my opinion. Paul Pierce, it took him three years to, to average 25, basically 26 points per game. From year two to year three, he took his points per game up Six points. On top of all this, he was leading a terrible team. To He, he would make the playoffs, but he was never really a real contender because his team was, was not that great. So obviously, maybe you could say that he averaged more points per game than Chris Webber did because he was the, asked to, to, to do more because his team was not good. But Chris Webber was still the best player on, on every team that he was on. He was still asked to score the basketball. So in that sense, I still give the edge to 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 Paul Pierce because obviously he averaged a, a few more points, and I think he was more dynamic scorer than Chris Webber was. And in the the year that Paul Pierce had won his championship, obviously they stacked the deck with KG Ray Allen. That's an all time great team, but he was still the Finals MVP. As great as KG was, as great as Ray Allen was, 
Paul Pierce left his impact on that series, and he was the he was chosen to be the Finals MVP. So in terms of the two of them, it it really is close. You, I I can't disagree with with your logic. Truthfully, if you have Weber, I'm not going to say you're ultimately wrong. I just think Eileen Pierce. One, he got the title. He's a bit more dynamic as a scorer. And when he was finally given a team to compete, he won. Pierce went on a uh, one playoff stretch, right? I'm looking at his playoff stretches where he averaged 27, 9, 7, two steals and a block. And what year was this? This was 0203. Yeah, man. He was different. And 10 games in. Another thing about Paul Pierce, he was clutch. Say what you want about him. He would hit tough game-winning shots. He is a, a, one of the more clutch NBA players of all time. He has the signature quote, hey, you call bank, I call game. He was like that. I mean, these two guys' careers just remind me of a, what do you value more, peak or longevity? Agreed. But at the same time, his entire Boston career, he was like that. I think he averaged 20 every single season. I could look. His, nah, it's not 20. It's like seven. His, last, his last two years... Four years in Boston, he averaged a point or two under 20. The last two years, he averaged 19.4 and basically 19. Exactly. Paul Pierce's longevity in Boston was solid. Once he left Boston, he kind of fell off. This guy's career really didn't take off, take off, and he didn't become Chris Webber until he joined the Kings. He was averaging 24. He was averaging 20 for sure, but then he averaged 27 in Sacramento. He became the Chris Webber. He was averaging 24 and, and eight in Washington. He was solid, but coming out of Michigan, Chris Webber had the the highest expectations we've seen of a ball player in a long time. Obviously, Michigan has the infamous Fab Five. He was the leader of that squad. But when he got drafted, he was supposed to be the best. He like top five off rip NBA players in the league, and he eventually got to superstar status. Obviously, but he was a bit underwhelming to his expectations. Is all I'm saying. At twenty four, and I don't think it was. I don't think it was underwhelming to expectations. He was just in bad situations. But sure. but same could be said for Paul Pierce in ninety five, ninety six, averaging twenty four, eight, and five and six games. per game. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Chris, well, you talk about longevity and peak. Chris Robert tore, tore up his knee, but after he tore up his knee in his last last full season in Sacramento, he still averaged. 19, 21, 16, 20. Yeah. And then it was that until... Paul Pierce was doing the same thing. And then it was until he was 33 that he really fell off and he just became a role player. But Paul Pierce had the luxury of teaming up with two other superstar caliber players. You know, I would say Ray Allen's more of an all-star, but he was touching that. He was the best shooter in the league at that point in time. And he got that luxury. Chris, Chris Webber never got that luxury to lean on two other players of sure. that caliber. I agree. Sacramento was a bunch of good players. Mike Bibby was so good. Wait, but Peja Stajakovic wasn't on the same level as Ray Allen was when he was in Boston. When he was in Sacramento. No. That's crazy. Peja's good. No, Peja's, they was on the same level. Peja's good, about Ray, Ray Allen, Ray Allen was Ray when he first got traded to Boston, no, no, Ray, Ray Allen in Boston. Well, Boston no, that well, first season in 2008, they were all world. The well, three of Boston, them, superstars though. All three of them were. Ray Allen was not a that superstar. first and that Bro, first nobody, year. In nobody Boston? is trading for Page and saying we just we just created a big three. That's fair, but I wouldn't say he was a superstar. But they also did give one of the best dynasties of all time a real run. And like you mentioned, if the game wasn't rigged, who knows what happens? Yeah, but I'm saying that Sacramento had a bunch of good role players like. Asia and Mike Bibby and Hito Turkoglu. They had a bunch of good role players, but they didn't have any 
real like all star, even pushing all star caliber. Mm-hmm. I mean, superstar caliber type of player. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about Paul Pierce and Chris Webber, really, I'm gonna compare them to two current players today. It's really about would you take Nikola Jokic or a Jason Tatum? Would you rather take a Jason Tatum who could score 26, 27 a game, or would you rather take a Nikola Jokic who can run? point guard from the high post from the top of the key. That's a little difficult for me because both these guys were excellent defenders. And the new era of the NBA would gear towards Tatum. Yes, I agree. You think? A wing, a wing, a dominant wing? Yeah. With that type of I mean, size. Chris, I mean, I say Nikola Jokic off of basis no, I, yeah, of play I get, style, Yeah, I get what you're saying. But Chris Webber, he has similarities to Jokic in terms of how he passes off the mm-hmm. high post. But Chris Webber was a wing. Mm-hmm. I mean, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, he can slash to the basket. But he was also oh, a phenomenal was passer. For sure. So Chris and plus he plays great elite defense. For sure. So Chris Weber would have been a step above, need I say, above like a Jokic in terms of just the things he can do. He can do more and impact the game more athletic. in more ways. Yep. So it's really about if you want an excellent score, but Pierce was a good defender, but an excellent score and defender, or do you want an excellent score, rebounder, passer, and defender? But then, like I mentioned, obviously he gets the rebounds, but then Pierce takes the shooting, and it's not, it's like easy. That's a, uh, it, it's, it's as close as it gets. You're pulling straws, like you mentioned. I mean, Weber averaged more points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks per game. Career wise, because he had the longevity towards the end, and Paul Pierce. And in the playoffs, career, and in the playoffs, points per game is identical with 18.7, and Pierce only beats him in steals. And Pierce also has a finals MVP to his name, too. Yeah, but it's about getting to the finals. Like, Exactly. You know, if, if Pierce, if Pierce had to go through those LA teams, he wasn't getting there. I mean, he, could, he couldn't beat the Nets. And I'm saying like, you had he had to form that team, and they only won in that 08-09 season. They lost to Orlando the very next year in the w, in the ECF. I mean, yeah, but they were hurt. And then the next year they went back and lost. And then they played the Heat in they the lost ECF in seven and, and lost. It, but I'm saying they they're getting they're getting there. They're getting there. I mean, Weber the, and them the got Kings, there what one and, time? And they had to yeah, go because the Kings the best, ran in one of the best big because the ever. Kings ran into the Lakers who won a championship every year That's in the fair. West. That's you know, fair. Boston. They were supposed to win more than one championship. Them For just sure. them just winning one championship was a, was a disappointment. Yeah. If but, Chris Weber would have had a Ray Allen on this team along with like a, I'm trying to think of like a, a of a great point guard. Like if he would have had who's a great point say, guard for Boston? Let's say in the 2000s era. Let's say uh-huh. let's say great Weber. At that moment? Nah, no, wait, but oh nine, he was like that. Nah, nah, I, I want to say Rondo. He's, he's more Rondo, like I mean, they, they he wasn't that was much a, better Rondo's than Mike Bibby. Rondo was a complimentary guard. Yeah. That's that time Rondo team. was like that. At the time when they won the ring, Rondo was no, not, not much when better they won than the Mike ring. Bibby. No, I agree. Even I agree. at Rondo's peak, he was a tad overrated. Eesh, I don't agree with that. It's because you want to pump the. Never mind. Go ahead. Talk See. about talk talking about Sacramento. Let's say like Chris Webber had Ray Allen on his team, along with like a Rashard Lewis or even a. Uh, like a Darren Williams, like you know, how great would that team be? Like they would win championships. You giving him Darren Williams, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean Darren Williams. You talk about, I mean Paul Pierce, Chris Webber cancel out, Ray Allen, Ray Allen cancel out, KG, Darren Williams. That should cancel out, bro. It don't, what? I mean KG is better. Oh, <laughs> at whoa. that point, at that point, D Will averaging twenty two and ten. If anything, you should like. If you go KG Webber, like you got to go by positions I mean, too. KG would give I'm just Webber saying, fits. I'm just saying. Whoa, whoa. What do you mean? 
What do you mean? What do I mean? KG's a great defensively. You some nonsense. Who me or him? You know him. Chris okay. Rubble was winning all NBA teams over KG. KG won an MVP, gang. And that P, at that era, he at was that dominating time. KG though. At that, but at he, that time, you, it was. Don't I wouldn't. Forget. I wouldn't say it's like hey, don't, K, don't KG's forget. first ballad. It took Weber some time to get it in. It took Weber some time because the dilemma with Mich- Michigan. It did, but enough. don't don't forget who won MVP. In that that time, yeah, no, KG with was a bad great. team. Is he, is he near I know, the top five all time power forwards? Chris Webber, yeah, he's like seven, eight, easily. Easily. I mean, it depends if you want to really go into errors and stuff. Charles. Would you take Kevin McHale over him? I'm not acknowledging that. I'm saying TD <laughs> <laughs> Charles. We gotta acknowledge that. Come on, like TD Charles, um, t- um, Dirk, Dirk, KG, KG, Giannis, Giannis. We said Giannis was better than Webber. Yeah, Giannis is there. We miss is AD better than Chris Webber? No, I'm saying yes. <laughs> I mean, AD has not proven himself as a number one option. I mean, he like, did win. We he did win a championship too. And like, I guess playing with LeBron, <laughs> like, you put Chris Webber on Kobe's team, mm-hmm. he's winning too. Yeah, at that time, that's fair. So would you put Chris? You wouldn't. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put Chris Bosh over Webber. He has no, no, two no, rings no, no. with LeBron. Fair enough. But he AD showed out. Like AD was like the clear. Would you say Webber is like an AD? Similar, yeah, in very area. similar in that very. stature. Instead, like a joke is more like an AD. But who's better defensively, in your opinion? I don't think AD is the. I don't I think AD is the passer. Like Weber this, is though. Go like this, that makes sense. I don't think AD is the passer. I mean, AD is not the passer. Weber was, AD's but AD has better ball. But I, handling. I'm just saying. I'm to counteract your point. I'm just saying like KG and Weber is an evenly matchup at that time in the 2000s. Even I would say I wouldn't say even because KG is so much better defensively, but I offensively. Agree. I mean, let's just we could just search up their match their head to head stats because they have that. You know, so. It is close, but you got to give the edge to KG. I'm just saying, if you gave K, if you gave Weber like an the cancel, elite, I just don't think you, they cancel. If you gave Weber like an elite level point guard, I didn't mean Darren Williams and KG cancel. I meant <laughs> what I position meant that, did Bibby play? Point he played point guard. Okay, he so then, but Bibby wasn't elite. He, he was. was he had a he great wasn't. stretch, but mm. he really wasn't elite. He was more he was of a just, shooter than anything. Yeah. Like if they got D Will who can run the pick and roll with Weber. What was Stoyakovich averaging? Twenty. Twenty. Putting up what Ray Allen was putting up. So in, then in Boston. So he needed. What more did he need? Really need? Not running the. Um, exactly. The he Lakers. ran into the one of the best teams ever. Yeah, but Peja, even though he averaged that, he's just he's not Ray Allen, bro. Like he's not Ray Allen. Well, he bro. can shoot it. He, Ray he can shoot, I but agree. he's not Ray I'm Allen. Just, no, I agree. I agree. Oh, like, he's not Ray Allen. Like, I agree. I love Peja, but he's not Ray Allen. Let's compare those seasons. So let's say 1999. Look, I pull up Ray Allen stats. Pull up. No, I'm not. I'm compare. I want to compare. I mean, Ray Allen is because I was in 25 with the Supersonics. He was, and in that 2000. In Milwaukee, season. he made the ECF but lost to AI. Oh, it's close because that 2008 season. Do you have the Ray Allen average 18.2? But I wanted to do a certain group of years. So from 2000 to 2006. KG and Chris Webber averaged the same amount of points at 23. I'm rounding everything, just letting y'all know. Same amount, no. KG averages one more block, two to Chris Webber's one. Chris Webber averaged one more steal, his two to Chris uh, to KG's one. KG more assist, KG three more rebounds. So similar in statistics. That's interesting. I mean, Chris Webber was like that, bro. I'm not saying, but who's denying that? Nah, you said KG was dom- would dominate the matchup. I, I didn't say he would dominate. I said KG would win the matchup because KG's a better player than he is. Well, advanced you didn't stats, say just KG win. dominates the matchup. You just Advanced stats, KG dominates the matchup. It's 2000, bro. We're not, look, we're not using that. <laughs> but you stats. just said you could look it up. Why not? 
No, because we're just, I mean, bro, 2000s analytics, nobody was caring about that at that time. Playoffs. KG, one more point, one more block, same amount of steals, one more assist, five more rebounds. So similar numbers in the playoffs. But Chris Webber. Yo, am I tripping or did Drew say he would dominate the matchup? Riv said that. Wait, what? KG versus Webber. I didn't say dominate. No, I I feel like you did because if you just said win, I wouldn't care. Chris Webber played 18 more playoff games from 2000 to 2006. 18 more players. Regardless, on a way better team. Regardless of that, to, to really like push back, KG's better than Weber. <laughs> like, it is. He is. So you think if KG was on that Sacramento team, they would make the finals? It, there's they a the chance, WCF, He yeah. made the WCF with bums, bro. There's a like, chance. That was a bad team. Yeah, there's a chance. I don't know, though, because Shaq was just so dumb. And they cheated yeah. him regardless. That's facts. Latrell, Page canceled out. Latrell was a dog, bro. But I think Page in Minnesota? He would have fit more. I mean, Latrell was just a defensive nightmare, yeah. too, though. I mean, regardless of anything, Sacramento got cheated. So, KG probably got cheated Who's the same way. Who's on that? Way. Sam Cassell? Yeah. We're, yeah. That was... Uh, Mike Bibby and him are not far off. Nah. Especially at that time. But that was it, though. But Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell. That was it. That, that was legit it. And they, you know, Sacramento had Bobby Jackson and Hito. Christy. Doug Christy. Doug, he was a... Uh, he Yo, was, all I'm saying he is... He was a young player. Bibby was averaging 21 with the Kings, 20 with the Kings, basically 18.5. Bro, he was nice. Mike Bibby... What was Sam Cassell averaging? Was he averaging this? He was just more of a floor general than Mike Bibby. He was a defensive guru, though. Sam Cassell locked up, bro. I mean, Mike Bibby is like, okay, for example, a current player that I could compare to Mike Bibby right now is Jamal Murray. Mike Bibby is what Jamal Murray is right now. And that's pretty solid. Oh, yeah. It, it's solid, but it's like... That's a firm comparison. Yeah, and that's... that's but it's Jamal like between, Murray's mad good. It's like between, do you want Jamal Murray or think of like a defensive-minded, rugged point guard in the NBA right Drew now. Drew Holiday? Would you want a Jamal Murray or like a Kyle Lowry? Yeah, not Drew Holiday. So, but that's what I'm wondering. But I, I'm not saying Sam Cassell's Kyle Lowry, but he's... Like similar, that. similar. If you mold. could let me know the points that Sam Cassell, if he averaged fifteen to fourteen points and he was this defensive type player, I'd be more inclined to say okay. But maybe he was averaging twenty. Yeah, Cassell in 03 averaged twenty. That was a, and seven assists. Remember, okay, wow. Sacramento was a high I volume I offensive team. True, very true. Yeah, very, very Sam Cassell high. averaged twenty and seven in Sacramento. No, in very Minnesota firm. Yeah, team very firm. Oh my god! This and team and was he was like that defensively. Yeah, it was, was four. So it's right. basically like, would you, would you rather want a Jamal Murray or a Kyle Lowry? Fair enough. That's Lowry. really kind of what. Fair it enough. Is. And you would rather Kyle Lowry. It depends on the team, you know. It I, would, I like no, Lowry. Agreed. But, yeah. But Chad, yo, that's a, that's a good comparison, right? Yeah, the Jamal Murray, Mike Bibby. That was really good. I was watching like old school Sacramento games, and I said, "Yo, Mike Bibby, the way he comes off the of screens, because basically how Jokic and Jamal Murray play right now, mm-hmm. that's how the two man game with Sacramento between Weber and Bibby was." It was Bibby coming off the screens and wrapping around and shooting. It was kind of it was very similar to that. So no, that's okay. a great and, and you know that era was tough. Definitely. You know, you know there's probably going to be a, a couple casuals in there talking about don't ever compare Mike Bibby to Jamal Murray, but Mike Bibby was tough, and mm-hmm. that, that's a really great comparison. I was that was tough, bro. I got to give you your credit for that one. That was tough. Thanks, appreciate it. Now we're going to talk about some Bleach Report redrafts. So they released redrafts for 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. And we're going to talk about which one was the worst one. And if you guys aren't familiar with Bleach Report and their redrafts, we are. I'm going to name basically the players they have at these drafted slots. So in 2016, Simmons is one, Murray's two, Jalen Brown is three, Sabonis is four, Ingram is five, Siakam is six, Van Vliet is seven, Brogdon is eight, 
Nine is healed. Yaka Pirtle is 10. DeJounte Murray is 11. Zubach is 12. Lavert is 13. Caruso is 14. And honorable mentions are Malik Beasley, Finney Smith, and Cork Moss. In 2017, Tatum is 1. Mitchell is 2. Adebayo is 3. Lonzo is 4. Over 5, John Collins. And 6, De'Aaron Fox. 7 is yeah, Jared Allen. 8 is Ananobi. 9 is Jonathan Isaac. 10 is Derek White. 11 is Markinen. 12 is Monte Morris. 13 is Kuzma. And 14 is Luke Kennard. And honorable mentions are Josh Hart, Thomas Bryant, Chris Boucher, Markel Fultz, Dylan Brooks, and Malik Monk. still have Lonzo over Fox. That's hilarious. In 2018, Luka's 1, Trey's 2, MPJ is 3, Aiton is 4, SGA is 5, 6 is Mikel Bridges, 7 is Jaron Jackson Jr., 8 is Robert Williams, 9 is Mitchell Robinson, 10 is Sexton, 11 is DiFincenzo, 12 is Robinson, Duncan Robinson, 13 is Miles Bridges, and 14 is Wendell Carter Jr., and honorable mentions are Devontae Graham, Jalen Brunson, Kevin Herter, DeAnthony Melton, Jay Sean Tate, Kendrick Nunn, and Marvin Bagley and Gary Trent are not in the top 14, and Marvin Bagley was drafted second. And 2019, the last one, Zion 1, Morant 2, R.J. Barrett 3, Matisse Thibel at 4, Tyler Harrow at 5, Darius Garland at 6, 7 is DeAndre Hunter, 8 is Talon Horton Tucker, 9 is Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 10 is Cam Johnson, 11 is Brandon Clark, 12 is P.J. Washington, 13 is Hachimura, 14 is Lugans Dort. Players they left out, honorable mentions are Cam Reddish, Terrence Mann, Gafford, Kobe White, Okiki, Keldon Johnson, Kevin Porter Jr., and Jordan Poole. Which one of these redrafts are the worst, or is the worst, or maybe is the best? You know, which one do you like or don't like? I don't like 2019. Like, THT is, I'm sorry, no offense, THT oh, is too hold high. Hold up the numbers. No, 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 give him credit for. No, no, but, but bro, 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 bro. Who, who was he over that was egregious? He has to say the names again. Could you do me that favor? 2019, read who he was over that was really egregious. I could find it, actually. 2019 was ridiculous. Horton Tucker was over Cam Johnson. Wrong. PJ Washington. Wrong. Hachimura. Lugans. Dort. Wrong. Over okay, Cam. Okay, come on. Wrong. Over Cam Reddish. That's fair. Over Kobe White. No. Keldon Johnson. No. Kevin Porter Jr. Hell no. Jordan Poole. Ah. Terrence Mann. No. Come on, bro. THD. What has THD done? You're going to make me pull up the per 36? I don't want to hear about the per because that's if he plays 36 minutes. I don't want to hear he's about gonna that. He's going to play 36 minutes that's this yeah, season. But we don't know what he's done yet. We're talking about what he's done right now. I'm telling you, he's better than you give him credit for. But, but, he, but you think he's going to play 36 this season? <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> he's going to play a good amount. 36 minutes is a lot, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Well, Stars don't even play 36. That's cap, but. No, they don't. Not a lot. Well, not. Giannis plays 30. But that he's a rare breed. Of the yeah. recent guys, he's he's no, one it's just of the that few. Play, I, no, you're right. Stars, rest them. Yeah. They rest them. So which one's the worst? You think 2019 is the worst? And the one, which one was Lonzo? 2016. Yeah, that's Lonzo. 2016. He's over John Collins, De'Aaron Fox, and Jared Allen's over Ananobi, Jonathan Isaac, Derek White. I got, I got some pushback with a few, but I think those two are the worst for me. I, I don't like the MPJ over SGA, but that's just me being a little biased or whatever. It's not that biased. But, but um, those two are the worst. Lonzo's still getting picked that high. It's hilarious. Over De'Aaron Fox. People really need to tune in the Kings games. He's really a dog. But that 2019 one, the recent one, I just feel like 
people love THT too much. And there was another name you said. I have the list right here. There's another name you said. Nikhil Alexander Walker. Yeah, he's he was too high. You think so? He he was been, he was solid last season. At nine? I know that's really high. No. And Cam Johnson's getting disrespected. I think he's actually where he should be. Ten? Yeah. I think that he, he might actually, be a better. I, I actually have him lower. But in the in the fi- in the finals in the playoffs, he was very solid for them. He just didn't get the opportunity that he probably deserved. There were players that were not as hot as him shooting the ball and that were getting the taken, ball. He said four taken, is ridiculous. Wait, you would have taken strong. you would have taken Jay Crowder off the court for Cam Johnson? No, no. Or what because about Mikkel? Jay Crowder? Mikel obviously provides a, a good defensive spark, but I'm saying when Cam Johnson was on the court, they were not giving him the ball as much as they needed to. Because Jay Crowder started the series. I understand that, up, but like, who would you give the ball over? Just like, in, in terms of he's open, passing the ball. Oh. Randon Clark at 11 is egregious. I don't like that. I mean, you, you said it. No I think 2019 redraft was horrible. Uh, the yeah, person who makes these lists are, is Andy Bailey from Leecher Report. You're terrible, Andy. Um, Disgrace to the name. The fact that Thibault is at four is ridiculous to me. I, unless they I think agree. he's going to become Kawhi Leonard or Jalen Brown. Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And Tyler Hero, he's better than Thibault. I don't know why he's at five. And Taylor Horn Tucker, Alexander Walker shouldn't be on this list. Brandon Clark shouldn't be on this list either. Mm-hmm. I did a redraft of my own. One is Zion or R.J. Barrett. Stop. Two is John Morant. Three is R.J. Yep. The fact that Kevin Porter Jr. wasn't on this list is ridiculous. He averaged 17-7 last year. In my redraft, I have him four. Hunter is five. I have Porter over Hunter. You have him six, over Hero, too. Six is Garland. Seven is Hero. Eight is Dort. Nine is Keldon Johnson. Ten is Jordan Poole. Eleven is Rui. Twelve is Cam Johnson. Thirteen, Kobe White. And fourteen is P.J. Washington. I think Rui should be a little higher. Over who? I think he has to go over pool. Consistently been doing it, starting, uh, he has to go pool over pool. Pool is a bucket. I think Rui has to go over Kelden Johnson. Pool is too. like CJ McCollum. Yeah. Where did you have Kelden? I have Kelden at nine. Rui is just go. inconsistent. That's why. No, nah, he just can't shoot, honestly. That too. But he is inconsistent as yeah, well. He can't he's, he's been starting the last two years. For sure. He's been putting I agree. Up he's solid been, numbers. And he's. He's been, getting, he's been getting a lot better, but at the same time, I need to see it more on a consistent basis. So you wouldn't take Chuma over Keldon? Nah. You wouldn't take Chuma over P.J. Washington? I would he, take Chuma Kiki over him, personally. Those two are guys. It really just depends. Do you want a defensive-minded four or a shooting four? I think Chuma's a three. Nah, he's a four. He can play both. Yeah. They both can. They're both small as hell. But Chuma can shoot and defend. I don't know. Chuma's a weird. He's he's a he he's a weird he's a weird player. He only played because everybody got hurt. So it's like, and he 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 showed a, a good amount. But PJ, who's been on the Charlotte, he's a part of what they do. Like he's a part of that environment, that foundation. And he's a really good player for them. I don't know. That's really an either or. I honestly think twenty seventeen was bad too because I was say, that's my least. I think Tatum and Mitchell. Would you put Tatum over Mitchell? I'll go Mitchell one. Mitchell won, okay. I mean, I think Tatum won. Nah, I'd go Tatum won. The fact that Fox is at six behind John Collins and Lonzo Ball, I don't think it's about tuning into Kings games. I think it's about overrating Lonzo Ball. And I've said it on this show before, and I'll say it time and time again. John Collins is right there. Lonzo Ball is the most overrated player in the NBA. He's a utility 3 and D point guard, yet people think he's this superstar guy. I mean, in Chicago this year, we're going to see it. Everybody says... It's the situation with Lonzo. It's this and that. 
Lonzo just had a career season being in that awful situation that everybody loves to talk about. That's what he is. He's not a star. Like, Lonzo... Isn't that credit to his name, though? Wouldn't you say that's credit to his name? In a, a bad situation, he just had a career year. I don't think it was that bad of a situation people think it was. Okay, I see, think that's fair. Then. It was. It was a. It was a bad situation for Zion. Really, and for Ingram, not for Lonzo. I think Zion was actually the point forward of the squad. He was actually facilitating the offense, and we saw him improve vastly once that happened. Once he had that, no spacing, but he's not going to have Lonzo spacing until problem, he, exactly. That's not his fault. Wait, what do you mean? The spacing part. Lonzo wasn't that problem. It, yeah, that's not on him. You guys are missing what I'm saying. No, you said Zion had no space, but yeah. it had nothing to do with Alonzo. That's, but that's that's the bad situation that oh, Zion okay, was okay. put in. Alonzo was put in a situation where... But I'm asking what... You're saying that that's a bad situation on Zion. What really bad spacing did he have? They they they, they had they, Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams starting. Well, obviously, yeah. Steven Adams bad. has no choice at, at that point to start in the lineup, though. So then that was a bad but, situation. You said it wasn't that bad. Not no, for Alonzo. Uh, because for Zion. Zion, Zion and Ingram, they're... Handling the ball the majority of the game. Yep. Lonzo's getting open looks. He doesn't have to worry about being the main guy. Zion is doing all the work. And Lonzo's just shooting open threes. Lonzo's not, you know, he doesn't have that pressure of putting the offense on his back. That's Zion. And Zion still had a historic, efficient Agreed. season. Lonzo just had to catch and shoot threes. And that's what he's going to do he in hit Chicago. Him, no, he hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's amazing. credit to him. Yeah. But. That's what he's going to do in Chicago. You think they're going to put the ball in Lonzo's hands over DeMar or Zach Levine? Hell no, they're not going to do that. But do you think that he's not going to facilitate the offense? Listen, I have the, the 2017 class as my, my least favorite draft out of these redrafts for sure. I think that you need to take De'Aaron and John Collins both over Zoe. But regardless of that fact, I'm to defend Zoe in this situation where you have Levine who... Obviously, can score with the ball in his hands if he's the primary ball handler. You'll live with that. He's the best player on the team. But you're not going to expect Zoe, who just got this type of money, to facilitate the offense to Vucevic, to DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan can facilitate DeMar the offense. DeMar just got more money. Than who? Than, than, Lonzo. than Lonzo? Rightfully so. So you think they're going to let Lonzo facilitate, facilitate the, offense? the offense? I'm not saying he's going to be the primary scorer because there's a Obviously, you know there's a what huge was, difference. What was Zach's role in Chicago last year? To basically do everything for them offensively. He averaged a career-high assist per game why in was Chicago. It, why did that happen, though? Because he had to. Who was our point guard? I get it. Yeah. Zach Levine had, a, had his best season of his career doing that. He actually had his most efficient season ever in terms of oh, wait. being a pick-and-roll ball guys. handler. DeMar DeRozan just averaged a career-high assist per game in San Antonio. Again, because he had to. No, it's because DeMar has improved that part and fastened his game so much. I agree with that That's 100%. why he, and it, it started in his final years in Toronto, and it has escalated here. I mean, in Toronto, DeMar handled the ball more than Lowry. Like, Lowry was a 3-and-D utility guy who, when DeMar didn't have the ball, he would do what he does because it was a 1-2 game. If it's not DeMar's turn, it's Lowry's turn. In Chicago... Lonzo's not the second option. He's there are two very good ball handlers in front of him in Levine and DeMar DeRozan. I personally believe that the two main facilitators of the offense are going to be DeMar and Lonzo. Obviously, Zach's going to be the primary scorer on the team. You can't facilitate the offense if you don't have the ball. But he's going to have the ball is what I'm saying. Over Levine and DeMar? No. 
the thing is, Levine can play off ball. You so they're gonna have Levine play off ball. Why can't he though? To suit Lonzo. To let him facilitate that suits the more offense. of him yeah. than anything. And it's, bro. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Bro. It takes the load off him. Does he does have to create everything? You do know he that had they, to do everything they got last Lonzo season. in Chicago to hit open threes and to play a fantastic defense. That's what they got him for. Levine and Demar aren't good defenders. Lonzo is going to be guarding the opposing player's best player or guard every night, along with Patrick Williams. It's going to be one of them too. That's why they got Lonzo Ball to play great defense and to hit open threes and make the extra pass and stuff like that. Last season, Lonzo, you know who he averaged the most assists on the Pelicans, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't have the ball more than Zion or Ingram. Mm-hmm. And Lonzo, even though his assist numbers were the highest, he wasn't the main facilitator of the offense. It was Zion. He can have more assists, but that could be more, more of him just making extra passes and transition passes not him facilitating in the half court well, set. He, I get that part, but at the same time, Zion isn't Zach Levine in terms of the way he scores. Zion isn't Correct. a guy who can come off a screen. Isn't a guy who you can run a set play for. You can't. You do. Not, could, no, you, could, you could run. No. Zion what off I mean. Season. What I mean by that is they, come, they run a shoot. bunch of no, wraparounds. I understand what you're saying. No, like what I mean the, by that is they like come roll, off the, the screen. Shoot. Yes. He can do. Uh, you can set a play for him. But I'm saying Zach can play off ball in a sense where we're not saying that. Oh, Zion can't. Zion yeah. can't, or that Lonzo, they're, they're doing this so they can please Lonzo. No, Zach playing off ball pleases Zach because Correct. now he doesn't have to. He didn't want it. He's spoken about it. He didn't want to do that last year, be the main because that puts a lot on his yeah, body. Yeah, that's why they got DeRozan to do that. No, 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 no. no. So no, you they, think DeRozan's going to play off ball? They got DeRozan to add another scorer to that, too, on top of being a, a and solid And what is it? He's a ball-dominant scorer. That's what DeRozan is. So if he's a ball down, what do you mean? What do you mean? Why did you give me that face? He's he's never not played without the ball in his hands in his career. OG at eight, yeah. OG, but are you taking Zoe or OG? OG, oh, OG is better than Zoe. Jonathan Isaac at nine. Jonathan Over Isaac, Zoe? yeah, dude. Uh, Dylan Brooks at nineteen. Isaac with two knee injuries. Dylan still Brooks at nine is better than respect. Zoe. Dylan Brooks is better than Zoe. I don't think Zoe is this. One. I know, I know. I yeah, get he's it. a role player. It. He's not an all star. Ah, it's tough. It's tough. I probably would take OG at this point in time. Dylan Dylan Brooks is. Would you take Derek White or Lonzo? That's a real question. They're about on the same level. They are on the same level. That's a real question. I would take Zo. I go Zo. That's a real question though. What about Monte? Who are you taking then? Hold on. I would take Derek White. You just don't like Zo. I would no. I just think Uh Derek White. I think he adds more. He's more of a Swiss Army knife than Lonzo. I disagree with that. I I just I love the fact that he has playoff experience and has shown out in the playoffs. That I can give you. But versus Denver, let's go back. He's more of a Swiss Army knife than Zo. That's wrong. Derek White does a lot of stuff. He does, but does a lot of stuff. Zo is the definition of a Swiss Army knife at this point in his career. He does a lot of things, not at an exceptionally high level. And Derek White, what does he do at an exceptional level? Nothing. Everything at a good level. I think he the energy he brings is exceptional. Lonzo is a timid player, doesn't give much energy. Very, you know, he's laid back. Derek White goes after it. I like that about him. Jonathan Isaac or John Collins? I'm John going Collins John Collins. Is but Jonathan Isaac could be if he breaks out this year. He could, but it's asking a lot of I his don't body. Think John Collins is, is better. I think Isaac has just been injured. But it's lists, I agree. It's lists like these in which why people think Lonzo's better than he is. Which is fair. And I can't, I mean, I can't wait. When we see him in Chicago, we'll see. I mean, 
if you think they paid Demar, two years. Yeah, but they still paid Demar. And we're forgetting about Vucevic. Like he doesn't facilitate. He's one of the best passing big men in the NBA. Like Vucevic's gonna have that ball in a high post all the time at the elbow all the time. Lonzo's gonna have the ball more than Kobe White did last year, and Kobe White had the ball a lot, like a lot. Well, that depends because if last year we add DeRozan and we add Vucevic for an entire year, Kobe White, you see that his role becomes very diminished. Think so? I mean, yeah, without a doubt. If Demar and Vucevic are there for the entire year, like I don't know, I don't know what people are expecting out of Lonzo Ball when you have Levine, Demar, and Vucevic. I think we're really more. Waiting to see what we expect out of DeMar DeRozan. Because you said he's been that main playmaker with just Kyle Lowry. Well, now it's Zach there. It's Vucevic there. Lonzo's there. I mean, I think it's easier for him because he played with a player like Vucevic before. You think so? Because when Zach has the ball, you know, you said Lonzo's going to be that guy who he could just spot up. Well, where's DeRozan going to spot up at? That's what I'm saying. That's why DeMar is not going to No, but but I'm talking about when Zach has the ball. Because there's going to be a situation where DeMar DeRozan doesn't have the ball. You know, we have... Well, big, well we that's why that's why so what, the what biggest is, the it biggest needs to be the one two of that's Demar why, and Lonzo. That's why the biggest question mark with Chicago is that Demar and Levine dynamic because both players are ball dominant players. Like every uh, single every single time. What do you mean, bro? Levine's wait, a ball dominant he's player, a, but, but he's Levine's had been to. a ball. Yeah, you can't, he's had listen, to. Levine has been a ball dominant player in situations where. There's literally nobody else to give the Correct. ball to. Correct. Duh, you're gonna say that he's been a ball dominant, but please with the. So he's, he's gonna a, turn into Ray Allen now. Ray Allen's a stretch, but he can be that type of player. So you think he's gonna. So his role's gonna be. We don't want you to have the ball and be the main. No, pro- no. You. Why do you go from ball dominant to just not having the ball? Why do you skip steps? I mean, in the method? Because I think you feel like Zach's gonna take. He's gonna play this entirely different role. No, but I, I think, think you feel like he's no. Gonna, he's, this is this this Zach's yeah. gonna do this. Zach is gonna play the same play style he's playing right now, just not as much. It's not gonna be Which every possession. Been, no, but. He's trying to say at this point that Levine's going to play basically like he did last year, but minus a little bit because of Demar. It's not because Alonzo, if you think that. No, see, but nobody, I, nobody, why do you keep saying? But Alonzo? at the same, he's just going to, in my opinion, I think Levine's going to be a lot more off ball than compared to last year. It's not going to be a little bit. He's it's going the, to be he's a lot. The only one in the offense right now that can play off ball and can freely. score. Wait, wait, wait. score. Alonzo can't. No, what I mean, no, I, just did it. No, no, what I mean by that is talk. he can do it at an elite level. Correct. That's what I mean. Correct. He's the only one on that offense that can do Correct. that at an elite level on on both sides, on ball and off ball. He's the only one Agreed. that can do that. The but only he's one. more elite on ball. Uh, yes, because I that's all that. we've seen. That's all we've seen. But he can do both because of his ability to shoot the three ball Correct. at a high clip and shoot the mid range at a high clip. Correct. He's the only one that can do that right now. So what I'm saying is. Yes, we want him to have the ball. Duh, of course, yeah. But I'm saying he's probably going to be the one that's going to be a little bit... He's still going to be looking to score, but he's going to be a little bit less off-ball because of the fact that now we have DeMar. Lonzo can do that, so now Zach can play a little bit off-ball because of his ability to do that. That's all I'm saying. The two primary ball handlers on the team are going to be DeMar and Levine. Yes. And it probably could be Levine over DeMar. Yes, I mean in the pick and roll in pick and roll situations, yeah. Levine is better than Demar. But in terms of yeah. in terms of isolation, Demar is better than Levine. At this point in time, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. No, I mean stats back it up. I mean points per possession, Demar is higher than Levine. Like, and that's been the case for several seasons now. It's not even a comparison. 
Like points per possession, Levine, Demar is one of the best ISO players this, of this generation for sure of this decade for sure. So are we gonna say that just because of the stats? Yeah, I'd be honest though. Like, get wait, the no, eye we're talking test. about if we're talking about just ISO players. Yeah, Demar is one of the best players of this decade in terms of just ISOing. So we're like we're we're saying that like that's a given. Just I'm not. Wait, you don't think so? That's that's a lot of guys in the Harden. ISO. Who's who's better than him in the ISO? You can you name me some Harden, players. I mean, Harden Kyrie, is, is by far. Kyrie, you got Kevin Durant. Yep. Uh, in the ISO, that's four. But you said the best. I said one of the so best. So where, 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 where would you put him? He's definitely top fifteen of this decade. Oh, top fifteen. Okay, that's fair. Enough. And that's one of the best though. Fifteen guys. That's not fifteen guys in ten years is a lot of players that you're competing with. Damian. Dame is better, and Steph. I'll put Steph over him. Six. I mean, when Steph chooses to be ISO, but you know. that's the thing though. It's like tricky because it's like. When your game is predicated on just that. Yeah, but DeMar DeRozan's ISO points per possession has been top seven Luka. in the NBA just as of now, but in the entire decade, you know. Tatum? DeMar and Tatum are really close. I'm taking you Tatum you personally. You, come on, bro. Now, now you're, you're looking too deep into the stats. You wouldn't. Tatum and DeRozan are not close. Paul George? They are close. His no, peaky average 27 in Toronto. We're not talking about, we're talking about right now, bro. No, I'm saying he's one of the better ISO players of this decade. That's what I said. That's what I originally said. I didn't say he's the best right now. But stats, since he's gone to the league, since he's became a 20-point per game mm-hmm. scorer, every year he's been top 10 in points per possession. Every single year. And in San Antonio, he was he finished seventh this past season over, over Levine. We're just talking strictly ISO. When we talk about guys like PG, he handles the ball a lot and facilitates too. I'm saying so. There's more to it. We're talking about strictly ISO. You can't think of six, seven better mid-range shooters than DeMar DeRozan. But I can think of six, seven, ten, fifteen better shooters. Oh my God, so many three-point shooters. No shooters, shooters in general. I mean, the fact that DeMar DeRozan is efficient and he only shoots mid-range shots is pretty remarkable. I mean, he only takes mid-range and layups. I mean, that's the most. I mean, but the mid-range yeah. shot is the most efficient shot on paper. So for you to be efficient from there, you mean most inefficient shot. Yeah, on paper it is. I yeah, mean, it's, we, yeah, the most but, efficient shots are three point shots, layups, and free throws. But we know, like, we know that's not really the fact, bro. Like, mid range, we know a mid range, the, the real deadly shoot is the mid range is where the game is so at. So, you think, so as an ISO player, now I'm not talking about picking rolls and so, straight ISO. sand screens. Straight ISO. So ISO player, do you think Brandon Roy is better than DeMar? So, points Because Brandon Roy would be the best, one of the best right now. So, yeah. I would think Brandon And Roy. I think DeMar is slightly over Brandon Roy in that aspect of just strictly ISOing. And we know how great Brandon Roy was. Would you t- would you ISO DeMar DeRozan and uh, Devin Booker? That's tough. Like that's that's uh, like All right, uh, Can you help me out real quick? This is points per possession, correct? Yes. Okay. So, you tell me if points per possession is really this important to you now. Austin Rivers was number 1. Norman Powell, 1.37. DeAnthony Melton, 1.33. Alec Burks, 1.31. Robert Covington, 1.30. Grayson Allen, 1.30. Kenrich Williams on OKC, 1.29. Joe Ingles, 1.29. Norman Powell, 1.28. I'm going to be honest, I don't think you're on the right page. This is the NBA.com. This is... Did you you put it to people? Isolation. Did you filter it? Per game offense. Filter Points per per game. That's, that's played enough games. This yeah. is so Rivers. In minutes. So Rivers, other than other than Rivers, he played twenty one games. Obviously, 
42, 52, 49, 70, 50, 66, 67. Buddy Heald played 71. LaMelo played 51. Then DeMar DeRozan at 1.2. So I think you're on the wrong page. And- I mean, I Riv, you could let no, me know if I'm right bugging. Column. I don't know if you Because look, filter. players, play type, isolation, 2020, 2021, regular season. You see the frequency where it says 15.9% and the possessions that are next to it. There, It shows possessions there. It says, yeah, Austin Rivers is at 1.42. He played 21 games. No, but that's not, that's not what matters. Mm-hmm. Austin Rivers is at 1.42 points per possession, but onto onto the left, two comps to the left, possessions, he only it's only 1.2 possessions per game. Mm-hmm. If you click on that and filter it, you see Harden has the most possessions in the isolation, and he his point possession is 1.09. You have to filter it so for players that actually matter. Of like, course. You know, Robert Covington doesn't take enough ISO possessions for you to really calculate how great he is in that. There has to be a certain a certain amount of volume to it. Listen, I tried to to filter it, but at the same time, it's. I mean, obviously, he is atop this list, but there are a bunch of other guys here that, like Buddy Heald obviously gets burned. LaMelo gets burned. When you go to frequency, and the frequency shows you how much times they isolate, is this, James Harden is at 33.6%. In Houston, he was at 24.7%. He led the NBA. Russ was at 24%. Score frequency or no frequent? It just says frequency. So you have to search up. You have to search up. I don't how, see that. And the best thing to use is points. Of so course. points per possession. It shows you the efficiency. But if players don't get that much volume on those shots, it's really useless. Okay. When you look at points, you search that up. It says Harden is at eight point seven points per game in isolation. Dame is second at five point five. Russ is. Third at five, Randall is fourth, and we know Randall Ash is one of the best isolation players. Demar Derozan, I believe, is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. He's fourteen at three point six points on isolation, mm-hmm. but he points possession. He's at one point twenty, okay, which is more than everybody on that list above him. The okay. only he. He's .02 better than Kevin Durant, who's at 1.18. Kevin Durant had 3.3 possessions in isolation per game mm-hmm. last season, and DeMar had three three possessions in isolation, and statistically, he was better in isolation at, okay. for points per possession. Uh-huh. And Kevin Durant and DeMar, points per, per isolation, like points just in general per game on isolations, um. KD was slightly over him at 3.9. Is there a name here, because obviously you have it. Is there a name here that should not be above DeMar DeRozan that is? And the, above, of the 14, 13 guys? Only John Wall. Okay. And I would say maybe even Russ, because I think strictly as an ISO scorer, DeMar's better than Russ. But Russ as a ball handler is better, of course. Mm-hmm. When we talk about Harden, Dame. Of course, obviously. Even Randall, like I think it depends, because I don't know, one year. But I love Randall, but it was just one year. DeMar has been more efficient. But Harden, Dame, Shea, I think, are better than DeMar as ISO scores. Mm-hmm. Giannis, of course. Uh-huh. Kyrie, Luka, Tatum, Durant, yeah. LeBron, and DeMar. Like, the only players over DeMar are LeBron, KD, Tatum, Luka, Kyrie, Giannis, John Wall, Shea, Julius, Russ, Dame, and Harden. I didn't hear Kyrie. Nigga. He is. No, Kyrie, Kyrie was it. there. And the people behind, like, under DeMar, slightly under, are Paul George, Kawhi, CJ, 
Siakam and Bead, Mitchell, Levine. So yeah. And I'll give him his credit there. For yeah, sure. So like I'm I'm just saying he's one of the best ISO players in the NBA. Yeah. ISO scores in the NBA. Definitely. That's why I don't think they're gonna they're not gonna switch his play style. Like DeMar has been successful at this play style his entire career. Mm-hmm. Levine has had his most success at this play style. So Levine isn't above DeMar DeRozan here. He's not. What number was Levine here? I forgot what number. He's probably like in the 20s. But Levine is a better pick-and-roll ball handler. Okay, so that just is going that's to— why I think, That's why I think in terms of like when I, when I rank the Bulls' offense, I think DeMar is going to be the main isolation option. Mm-hmm. Levine's going to be the main primary ball handler in terms of like pick-and-rolls because if they run a pick-and-roll with Vucevic, it's not going to be with DeRozan because you don't have to step out on the three-point line. Lonzo's not aggressive enough to do that. And Levine, because of his threat to shoot, you have to step out, and that makes the pick and roll more effective with him and Vucevic, even a pick and pop. Mm-hmm. So I think he's the main ball handler in pick and roll situations. DeMar becomes the main isolation guy. And then if they play off the post, it's, of course, Vucevic. Mm-hmm. That's why I think when you have those three options, Lonzo is kind of like, okay, when it's my turn, when the offense collapses and I have to drive and make an extra pass or in transition, I have because he's the best full-court transition passer on this team. He makes plays like that. But in terms of, like, I'm going to give him the ball in isolation situations over DeMar or Levine, or even as a pick-and-roller, as a ball handler over Levine or DeMar, I think that's where it gets tricky. That's why I think if he's the fourth person on the team with the ball, it's going to be very hard for him to be anything other than what he was with the Pelicans. No rebuttal? No. Yeah, there's a whole lot. No, he didn't. He didn't um, I don't think he's going to get the ball over, Lon, over um, Levine, Levine or, or DeMar. DeMar no? mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just don't think that they brought him in to just Vucevic be a is 3 the big, so it's yeah. kind of like, you know, it's like... Vucevic is going to uh, get his regardless, yeah, so and that's like, a big, it's a whole different situation. He might get the ball more than him, but he's a big. But so. The thing about Vucevic, which is so weird, is well, not weird, I think it's beneficial, is that he's a top five passing big in the NBA. Like, I think outside of Jokic... I can't think of a big man who's a better passer than Vucevic. But like I think center, yeah, center. But I think that's why it's so good that I, I don't, he averaged five assists. I think. Yeah, I think that's that's what's good because you even said it. We have Demar, who's a really good passer. A lot of good Lonzo's facilitators. A good passer. Yep. Zach has improved as a Agreed. passer. Vucevic is the only person that's not a good passer is Patrick Williams. We have four guys that are really good passers. That's why I don't see maybe Demar, but I don't see the. We're going to be ISO in. The ball movement is going, going to be, be a lot of ball good. movement yeah. in that offense. I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of ball movement in the offense. But I also do think that in those situations where they run high pick and rolls. Oh, for sure. They aren't calling Lonzo's number. If the offense breaks down and they need a bucket, Lonzo is not going to get that call. Like, oh, no. I, I, I think, never said that. Like I think it's Levine, DeMar, Vush, and then Williams. I think even Williams is a better ISO score than Lonzo. So that's why I think, you know, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a 3 and D player. I mean, Derek Fisher won championships like that. Mm-hmm. And not, not to compare him to Derek Fisher, but like, because I think Lonzo's a better player, but Derek Fisher was impactful as hell. He was. I just think that Lonzo Ball, it's nothing bad to be a role player because I think what he is actually is a glue guy to a team. That's why if he went to Golden State, he would be perfect because he would play a similar role to like Draymond where you like, you're just like a glue guy who can do everything. But Draymond's the point guard. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, like Lonzo and Golden State would be able to just play a role. I think Lonzo's better at playing a role 
and like a complimentary role than being the main guy. And that's I think people still view him as a main guy when he's not that. He's just that is a role player. People do perceive him like that. Like I don't the, either. In the redraft, he was four, and I'm saying so obviously because he's. You mentioned the Swiss Army knife. He is a jack of all trades. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I, the reason why people think of that a lot think of that of Lonzo. Think of that Alonzo is because of his status. Because of the ball in a family, the ball I family. I don't know if that's the thing. I, I just think that's think that, dead. Yeah, at this that point. is dead. Because let's be honest, that's Lamelo. At this point, it's all changed to Lamelo. Lamelo's Bro, that guy. I'm gonna be guy. honest. Like you might think it's dead, but you go on Instagram, you just type in the word ball, you're gonna see ten ball fan pages pull up, and it's like there's okay. a there's one fan page that has like over a hundred thousand followers that all they do is talk about the ball family. They say Lonzo Ball, LaMelo, and bro, they get mad engagement. And it's like Lonzo Ball was in a bad situation. I can't wait until he becomes a superstar. He got it. He got He has a gigantic fan base. Of course he does. But I think that in terms of his game on the I, court, I, I think agree. that whole ball narrative is kind of dead now at this yeah, point. Yeah, but the thing is like when you have so much fans. Yeah. I mean, he's still only even, 23 even, years Even old. with your game on the court, when you have so much fans, they think that you can be better than what you are, which I think is a cool thing. But I know he's only 23, but you talk about it. DeRozan having two more years left on his contract. And who knows, with Levine re-signing, Vucevic, who knows what he's going to do. Lonzo's not going to be one of the top options until he's like like 27. Don't think he needs to be, though. That's what I'm saying, but that's what I'm saying. But no top scoring So how is he going to be like an all-star type of guy? Who thinks he's going to be an all-star? But you, you, report you, you just by said saying that he's the. I mean, you just said he's pick. only twenty three. I'm just saying he still has time to really grow as a player. I don't. I don't think he needs to be I, a definitive all. I also think we need to take his defense into account. There's not many elite level defenders at the guard position at this point in time. Do you time. think Lonzo is a better defender than Caruso? At this point in time, Yo, bro. I, I do think so. I'm being man. dead ass, bro. I don't know why. I to be fair, give Caruso his credit defensively. Come on, Defensive, bro. defensively, dude. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Off ball, I will give to Lonzo. But Lonzo's a good on ball defender. You think he's and a better on? You think he's better? He's a better on ball no, defender than Caruso. He's a better all around defender Correct. than Caruso. Correct. Like it's Correct. that's clear. Correct. He's a good on ball. But defender I don't want. I don't want you to say disrespect. Like no, no. I know. It's, I know Caruso is really close. Right, but I, it's I don't really think it's close, close because uh, Lonzo's overall a defense. No, it's not close. No, it is close. Overall defense. No, overall, it's not close, bro. At this point, you're misconception. You're upset with people putting Lonzo this high, so now you're just trying to tear him down. I agree. I agree. I'm just trying no, it's to, clear now. I'm, at this I'm trying point. to bring him down <laughs> to earth. It's, it's clear now. <laughs> like you said that because I, I said Caruso. When what do you mean? What, you, what you, you just gave Caruso. You just gave Caruso thirty mil to play defense. But what are you bringing me down to earth about? I never said Alonzo will be Caruso is a no, solid said, shooter I, too. No, I'm He's saying I'm shooter. saying this on a podcast to bring people's expectations of Alonzo. Yeah, because you, down you're upset with people's misconceptions because they of put him here. Yeah, exactly. Which is clouding your judgment. So now you're just bashing him as an NBA player when in fact. Lonzo is a better all-around defender than Caruso. It's not close. Caruso's a good on-ball defender, Correct. but as an all-around defender. Elite on-ball defender. Yes. You said he wasn't elite when we were talking about him, but it's okay. I'm going to let that pass, and I'm going to continue. I said that? Yo, you I, did. I, you I, definitely I was said Caruso. <laughs> I, I said nah, that. Nah, nah. You're Caruso's, too much. Caruso's. Come on. Bro. He's like that? He's like that? Elite. Better elite. than RJ, right? Not better than RJ. <laughs> RJ is next level. But see, but. Now that I'm thinking about it, all these lists have taken defense into account. Caruso Cat, obviously makes Collins is at five, but Cal- Collins isn't a trash defender. But if they took a defense into account, Isaac would be higher. 
I don't know. Coming about off an that, ACL, it's, it's tough, though. I mean, it probably and also at the same time, Collins' team did just make the ECF, so obviously that probably pay, plays mm-hmm. a role into it too. Yeah. So we're gonna get on to the ne- this next topic about Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell was recently interviewed by Sam Amick of the Athletic, and he said, "This is no slight to Phoenix or Milwaukee or the Clippers, you know, but I feel like if we were healthy, we would get to the finals." I feel like we would win. But you know, it's all easy when you say ifs, ands, or buts. It's easy to say that. So, do you think that if the Utah Jazz were in fact healthy, would they have beaten the Milwaukee Bucks or gotten to the NBA Finals? And can the Jazz make the Finals this upcoming year? You skipped the Clippers, the Suns. You went straight to Milwaukee. Um I agree. That's yeah, that's was, facts. Um, I, I, I mean, to to be fair, I said, would they be Milwaukee or would they have made the finals? Okay, pardon, okay. I hear that part. Pardon me. Excuse me. I don't know because a lot of their problems against the Clippers was, I don't I don't think Mike Conley could have fixed it. You know, I don't think that, I think they was able to score. I think they their shooters were open. Just a few times they were missing. I think Donovan Mitchell, even though he was on that ankle injury, he was still doing his thing balling. A lot of the defensive errors were because Rudy Gobert had to help his wings and he couldn't guard on the perimeter when, you know, he has to run out there and guys would just beat him to the basket. I don't think Mike Conley was fixing that. You know, I understand if Mike Conley was there, that brings another ball handler and I get that part offensively that'll help. But defensively, sure. they crashed because Rudy Gobert had to help his wings so he couldn't guard out on the perimeter. It, they just, Clippers just shot him out the gym. So I think, you know, Mike, them being healthy. You know, I think they would have beat Phoenix. I think that was a better matchup for them because Aiden, Gobert, and then Mitchell, Booker, you know, you could just match up with those guys and go to war with them. Milwaukee, I don't think they would beat Milwaukee because Giannis was just, you know, that that matchup, Giannis versus Gobert, he would have just, I think he would have dominated Gobert because Giannis is just that dominant. Agreed. But against the Clippers, you know, that was just a bad, small ball has, and it it has been a thing that's hurt Utah. And I think... That matchup specifically was just a bad matchup, whether they were hurt or not. You know, both teams, you know, they both teams had their array of injuries. Kawhi didn't play. Mike Conley didn't play. If Like, it's just Serge Ibaka didn't play. So, like, it was just a lot of injuries. Even though Serge was out for this barely the season, still, that's another guy who they could have used. It was just a lot of injuries. So, I think that series, bro, you, you were up 2-0. Then it was 2-2. You went back home. You lost that game. Then you were up 25, going to... 26, pardon me, in the Clippers, you let Terrence Mann do it to you. Not because Mike Mike Conley played that game, but not because he – it was because defensively you just – you had no answer. Of course. And Rudy Gobert was stuck in no man's lane because he had to help his wings and he had to go guard. So I just – I don't know about that Clippers matchup. I do think Phoenix would have beat – they would have beat Phoenix. This year coming in, though, they got a good team. Rudy go, Rudy Gay, you know, the continuity. Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside. Ah, he's kind of like Gobert, but – Continuity is there. I Eric think Pascal. <laughs> I think they can make a run. Jared you know? Butler. I think they can match up with LA. Both LAs. I think they can wow. match up with Golden State. They still can't match up with the Bucks, and they can't match up with the Nets. I mean, Jared Butler just won a championship. That's great. It's awesome. It's incredible. My big thing is at this point in time, what has the Utah Jazz done in the playoffs to allow us to trust them? Truthfully, not not much. My big thing is you were up 26 with the Clippers not having their obvious best player, and you blew the game. Now, as much as I want to blame the players, I blame mostly Quinn Snyder. 
Quinn Snyder has done a poor job of putting his players, a.k.a. Rudy Gobert, in situations to be successful. And it's gotten to the point where fans that, that obviously don't only look at the, the court aspect of things see Rudy Gobert looking almost like a liability to a degree, when in reality it's where the position that he's being put in by Quinn Snyder that has allowed the other team to take advantage of it. There's no excuse for being up 26 at home and losing that game. Zero excuse. The season prior in the bubble, obviously bubble basketball was was a different type of vibe. Were they up 3-1 and lost? Yes. I get you you said Bobby was a was a big part of that. Obviously he went down. Is well, he, he, he didn't play. Yeah, exactly. Is is he that big of a role that you blow a 3-1 lead? No. I don't think so personally. I think they the Nuggets get swept if he's there. But do they that, blow that, a three-one no, lead? Uh, yeah. That's that's the question. Sure, do they get swept if Bobby's there? Sure. Should they blown a three-one no, lead? It's inexcusable. So now going into this season again, I I think they could still be a top seed in the in the the West. They have the roster basically same as last year. They've made some additions, of course. Quinn Snyder, come playoff time, is going to be the factor. This team reminds me a lot of Milwaukee and how people perceived them last year. Milwaukee's big thing was they're an amazing regular season team, but come playoff time, they're a different squad for some reason. They're not the same. Budenhoser had the pressure going into this year. He got saved in some instances. Maybe maybe Kevin Durant's foot uh, kind of saved him a bit oh, there. Maybe we're the, not hearing that. Nonsense. Yeah, right? Apparently. That being said, but legitimately, the, the actual thing was that Harden and Kyrie both did go down. Uh, but regardless of that, he still won the championship. They answered the questions of whether they can be a championship team. Utah is now under a similar situation. Utah has been a great regular season team these past few years, but come playoff time has gone ghost. And until they show me something, I'm not going to say they could win a finals. Versus the Clippers, had Conley been healthy the entire series and played, and Mitchell had not gotten that, that ankle injury that lingered on, they would have beat the Clippers. I believe in my heart they would have beat them. They were up 2-0. I think they would have won that series. <clears throat> Versus the Phoenix Suns, I think they would have beat Phoenix as well. I think they would have beat the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. It's really about the Bucks and can they beat the Milwaukee Bucks? I do think Rudy Gobert matches up better as a paint protector when playing against Giannis. But on the other side... Is there a better defender to guard Donovan Mitchell than Drew Holiday? I don't think there is. And I think Drew Holiday would have done an exceptional job on Donovan Mitchell. I've seen a series where Donovan Mitchell has fell short and hasn't played to his standards when Eric Gordon was guarding him. Yep. So if Drew Holiday, you know, is what he's supposed to be, it could look a little bit worse than that. That's where I push back on it a little bit. I don't know if they would have beaten Milwaukee, but I think they would have had a had a really good chance, especially after beating Phoenix. You think that before you continue, they would have beat the Clippers with Kawhi? Yes. I disagree, but go ahead. I do think they would have beat the Clippers with Kawhi. They were up 2-0 with Kawhi. So was the Luka. I mean, I get it, but you know. No, I don't get it. I do get it. No, I but don't. But we've been on the they show. They beat Kawhi already hold, two games. Hold on. But we've been on the two show. Two means nothing. Hold on. We've talked on the show that if Kawhi was healthy and playing for the Clippers, Clippers could have went to the finals. So the Would have. Maybe. Probably, dude. Because against the Suns, there was multiple games the Clippers could have won without Kawhi. They probably could have, yeah. So my point being, 
how can we say that they would have definitely, like, if, if Conley was healthy with Kawhi being healthy also, that it's a for sure thing? I don't think it's a for sure thing, but I think that they can beat them. I'm not saying that if the if the Jazz face the Clippers with Kawhi in the entire series and they're both healthy, the clip the the Jazz for sure beat the Clippers. I'm just saying it can happen. It, it could obviously go both ways, but it can happen. They can they can beat the Clippers. They've shown that they could go 2-0, but them up being, 2-0 against but they them. were up 26 and lost. I don't know what you saw that could have allowed you to think that. <laughs> I think Mike Conley, his not being there was huge for them in that entire series. And in that game six, was Conley's existence there? Yes. Was his being there? And they Absolutely were still up not. 26. Without Absolutely him being, not. And they Kyle were, so uh, like, my me. thing is, you keep saying Mike Conley. Conley. Yeah. Mike Conley, and I get it. He's a really good player. We know that. But in that series. It allowed L.A. to double-team Mitchell. And he still was, st- like, I'm looking, I'm, bro, he's shooting, he shot 45% from the three-point line. Mitchell. Yes. So you're telling me if Mitchell, and if he, no double-teaming, would have done better? He would have done better than that. Which, which, but like. That's Ross, scary. But they they double-teamed because. How much better can you really do than 45% from three? If you're not getting double-teamed, that, that's getting double-teamed. I don't know, man. 45% is unbelievable. And he was playing on an ankle injury. He said it himself that when he was on that injury, it forced him to play lower to the ground and to become a better shooter. He said it in the article. Now that he has his bounce back and he can do that. And be super athletic, he's gonna uh, go to a different level. I mean, he could average forty in that series. If we're being honest, MVP. What do you think? He plays in Utah, bro. He's not going MVP. Okay, it's just that's not gonna happen. I don't know because even when they went back to LA and they they finally said, "All right, Kawhi, you're gonna guard him mm-hmm. for majority of the game." When Kawhi was on him, he didn't start turning it up until Kawhi sat down and Reggie Jackson, one of those guys, jumped back on him. So I, the the double teaming thing, I get it. But when Kawhi was on the court and guarding him, there wasn't really much double teaming because Kawhi is Kawhi. And even then, they were getting blown out. So it's like the 2-0 part, I get it. You know, they were up 2-1, so you 2-0, so it's like you can say that. But Mike Conley, my thing with Mike Conley is defensively, what was he going to change? Mike Conley is a good defender. No, but what was he going to change to force them? Because their problem wasn't Wait, who, who went Who went off? In the Clipper series, Reggie Jackson, right? No, it was it wasn't just Reggie. That's it was what, I know it was man. Man, man had Reggie, a great game. Paul George, Reggie was Marcus was playing well. Marcus started. Reggie playing well. was huge though. But why did they blow the twenty five point lead? Because I of Terrence it. Mann. And who I was mean, guarding Terrence Mann? Because of the defensive scheme. I but who get was it. guarding Terrence Mann? Rudy Gobert. I mean, it wasn't Rudy. It was it was a zone defense. But that's my point. Mike Conley can't change his own defense. Correct. If the scheme is a bit different, but then what, what's the scheme going to be with Mike Conley being there? It could be different. Mike Conley but such what, a great what leader. All Reggie did was just call for a screen and and hunt for Rudy Gobert. The communication would have been much better on rotations with Mike Conley, you know, being that active voice. But I'm Maybe. saying Reggie Jackson went off in that series. If Mike Conley's there to guard him that entire series, he doesn't go off like that. I mean, he went off, but he was hunting for Rudy. Like he went off on Rudy Gobert. Like he's off the looking switches. For Rudy. You don't think Conley fights those switches or hedges? How many of them he gonna really fight? Conley's tough, man. He's <laughs> tough as nails. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did you forget he played for the grit and grind era? The, no, I, the grit I, I, and grind team, the, the toughest team of this decade. I get it. No, I get it. But you you saying that and Rudy Gobert off every switch was dropping back and the shooter was open. It was job coverage. Yeah, either B- B- Batum or Morris. So what? What Mike Conley? What he's gonna switch? It that's really what I'm saying. Was a bad situation. I think Conley, as a whole, dude. 
just being in the game and, and you know, feeling what's going on out there. He goes to Quinn Snyder and says, yo, look, we got to switch it up. Mm. And he's that vocal presence. I do think Mike Conley's leadership was missed. Talking about this year, they got Rudy Gay. Very good signing. I'm happy about that. No pun intended. Uh, Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> <laughs> Hassan Whiteside. You said he's like you said he's like Rudy Gobert in a negative way. I don't no, know why no, no, you said no, no, it in no. a I negative he, way. I get what he means. The spacing, but that whole aspect. You, oh but you, you literally said he's like Rudy Gobert. No, because what I mean, like they, I, they, yeah. they got what they really did I know, need. I know, but you made it sound like that Pardon was me. awful. That wasn't awful. I mean, they were they had solid they had Derek Favors before this, and Derek Favors was hot garbage last year. And Eric Pascal, even though you know he might not play, he might not play. But you, you know what I like about the signing. That's Mitchell's best friend. You know, Mitchell now has, yo, that's my dog. Now, it was a trade. Now on now on when they're like in the on the plane rides and stuff like Ooh, that. Pascal, you're saying? Uh-huh. Now with Pascal and Donovan Mitchell, they're on the plane rides, they're playing chess together, they're talking, you know, they're communicating. They have a bond. If Donovan Mitchell gets too low, that's his boy from his younger days. You know, he's gonna lift them back up. That's they that's but how like, does this translate to basketball? Yeah, I'm so confused. I think Keeping a locker room together and keeping the star players' mentality in check is great for a team. For example, like the L.A. Lakers, the 2000s teams, Kobe, Shaq, and Rick Fox, and you know Glenn Rice, they were great players, right? But the Lakers didn't start winning and actually go on a roll until Derek Fisher came back and was that glue and voice. And we saw that throughout that time and Later on, from 09 to like 2010, he was the same type. He had the same type of role with Kobe. I'm not saying Eric Pascal is that, but Derek Fisher had that close relationship with Kobe that he can talk to him. They broke up, Kobe and Shaq. So all that glue stuff, I'm still confused <laughs> about. But they they played their best with D Fish. But they went to the WCF before D Fish. You do know but that, but they right? wasn't going to make the finals. I'm just letting D-Fish. you know though. They did. Yeah, they were. You know what I'm saying? Everybody. The finals? Everybody. They just talked, needed. Yeah, D Fish was huge, bro. Come no, on. they just needed Kobe to be Kobe. That's yeah, really bro. what it no, was, but bro. Who kept Kobe in check? It was D Fish, bro. Okay, that's fair. It was D Fish. So now Pascal with Donovan Mitchell. Okay, now I have my best friend. He's somebody okay. that can keep me in check. You know that if I'm doing something wrong, he's going to say something. He's going to speak up. So that's this huge. This is different, though. But that's huge for the locker I get it, but this is what's different. Donovan Mitchell isn't the best player in the league. Shaq was the best player in the league. Correct. He's, He's the not, best player on the team, though. Yeah, that but, means but, a lot. But Derek Fisher did that, and I, I understand, but it's it was Kobe and, and Shaq. And not only that, but then they just brought in Jared Butler, who has championship experience. That's not fair. at the NBA level, but at the college level, this guy is mentally strong. So you think they're going to the finals this year? I think there's a possibility, man. You know, last are they going to the you, finals? You did all it's that a, to possibility. Give me a possibility. It's a possibility because you look, said the Warriors are going to beat look, the, the Lakers. Look, which, the Clippers, the Clippers with Kawhi out for like the mo- most of the year. Yeah, they're done. I, look, I don't think they're yeah. a finals team. If they if they are, I will be shocked. The Lakers or the Warriors, can they beat Golden State? You know, Clay, I made my pick. You know my pick already. Clay hasn't been healthy. You know, you never know. I'm just saying, I would pick Golden State. But if Utah beats them, I wouldn't be surprised. It's really the Lakers. They don't have to guard Ross. Like that. That's why that's, <laughs> you put Gobert on him. That's so funny. Man. You could Ross, you, you could literally, literally put, do that. No, you Yo, literally like, put Gobert honestly, on him. versus the Clippers. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! You can put Gobert on yes. Russ, but then Ben, who can't shoot at all when he's guarded by Gobert, gives him forty for a playoff series, bro. I'm gonna put Gobert on Russ, all right. and I'm gonna tell him and drop. That's gonna be a terrible. Well, decision. if he beats me shooting, then I shouldn't have won. That's this is the thing. 
Russ's Rudy mid-range Gobert. shot is not bad, so if he drops, he'll live. I mean, this Fell mid-range off. shot is still inefficient. He's not good from that. He's a terrible three-point shooter. His mid-range isn't bad. Versus the Clippers, playing Gobert that far away from the basket, uh, that close to the basket and far away from the three-point line was horrible because the Clippers had 40% three-point shooters all over the court. Everywhere. Rudy Gobert could guard Russ and not even like guard him. He could be sagging off in the paint, ready for LeBron to drive and he could be that stonewall. And if you pass it to Russ, eh, let him shoot. And plus, Bogdanovich on LeBron. He gave him fits versus in that Indiana series. And we saw versus Kawhi, he was giving, giving him fits defensively. Yeah. I'm just saying, Bogdanovich, he, he remembers that series where it went to seven and LeBron won. He remembers it. And now he's looking at LeBron a little bit older. And, you know, he's coming for the kill, man. Coming to dethrone the king. So you have Utah going to the finals? They can go. I'm not saying I have them going. Like, mm-hmm. that's not my finals prediction. Yeah. But they can go. Like, they, they can match up with every team in the Western Conference outside of, like, a fully healthy Clippers team if they go small. But they can match up with every team. And I think Rudy Gay, Rudy Gay was one of the Spurs' best defenders so last who's season. who's playing defense on AD then? Oh, that's just but that's where the drop coverage comes in. Because Gobert, Gobert is down low. So now you're going to have to just hit all jump shots. And he can do it, but that's what's just going to have to be the game. Because let's be realistic, Westbrook in the playoffs is very, very bad as of lately. But is Gobert going to play in a drop coverage, still play good defense on Anthony Davis? Well, he's helping. If he drops to the basket, yeah. He's helping. So it's, it's going to be two people on Anthony Davis at this point. And then LeBron, helping. one-on-one. Helping. It's a lot of help. You have a big seven-foot man down there helping. I don't, I just don't, I don't see how it'll work. It's simple. It's just LeBron's going to have to be LeBron. And what if, you we see see Phoenix, how, if you want to see how it's going to work, just watch the Lakers versus the Rockets. That's it. When we won in five? No, y'all play defense just like that. You let Westbrook shoot. The way shoot. you play defense on Houston. Ah, I understand and you what you're play, saying. You play defense on Houston. And honestly, Houston. But they're a small, they were a small ball lineup regardless yeah, I, of that. Yeah, that, that's even worse. But you treated though. Westbrook like Gobert, honestly. Uh-huh. I understand that, what you're that's, saying. E- that's even worse, though, because uh-huh. Houston had more shooters than the Lakers would have. And Utah has shooters. And a smaller lineup. You know, like Utah would Did have, the Rockets really have sh- a lot of shooters that season? Yeah. Covington, Covington Harden. They Gordon. had guys who were supposed to be shooters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they had they had the space and they had a double Harden. You know, they had a double the best player of all time. But oh, ignore from, that, ignore that, yeah. ignore that. Just ignore that. It wasn't even the best player. But when, ta- when, like, talk, when talking, talking about? about when talking about the Lakers versus Jazz, like, you know, AD in this past playoff um, this past playoff run, not this past year versus the Suns, of course, because he got hurt, but when they won the finals, he had an out of body three point performance. Like he shot, he was shooting great from three point that whole season. But his average is thirty three percent for the year for, for his career. And Which in is the, fine, and in but the that playoff, season, that whole season, he was a solid three point shooter. He shot like thirty six percent though. Okay, and you're saying that like a scoff, like it's bad. It's not bad, <laughs> but in the play, man? in the playoffs, he shot forty percent from three. So he upped it by four percent. That's a, I mean, that's a big jump. Thirty six percent playoffs in fewer 30, games. Thirty six percent is, wait, oh wait, what? <laughs> playoffs, it's the playoffs fewer, so it's games, fewer games. So okay. the percentages are going to be skewed one way or the other. If you okay. play well, they're going to be higher. So you, so you, what you're telling me is that you take more into he account. He shot thirty three percent that year from the three point line. Oh wow! I, I gave him three percent more. Oh, wow. So you're saying you take into account the regular season more than the playoffs? No, you don't. So why do you knock R.J. Barrett for not playing great in postseason? You're saying do I take regular season higher into account than postseason? That's what you just asked. No, me. I'm just asking you in general because you you made it sound like 
AD sample size is the reason why it was high. What do you mean by that? I mean, he, <laughs> like, dude, he had a great. Sh- no, I'm saying, I, no, I'm just saying because I value regular season longevity over playoffs. But okay. you knocked RJ for it, but whatever. You I, rightfully I, so. I'm yeah. with, it depends. I know when you're it's when he's you're a fan, when you're a rookie. You know? oh, okay, okay. I, I mean, Harden plays great in the playoffs. Bro, I get what so. you're saying. When you're a young guy. When you're a young guy, that's your first playoffs. If you're gonna knock a guy like that, okay, whatever. But so AD, just back to AD. AD shot 33 percent that year. I tell you right now, he's never he shot thirty percent in three point line in that playoffs. But before that, it was twenty seven. He so he shot thirty eight, not forty. But he's never shot thirty eight. Fi- final. Like that. No, I, that's what I said. That twenty twenty season, but that whole this year, year he it was twenty nine. He shot eighteen, yeah. and the year before that, thirty eight. He, he shot yeah. twenty seven. He was bad this year, three point shoot. No, he's been bad forever, even in the regular season. 26, 33, 33, 34, My, what, 29, What I 32. said was... That's what I'm saying. If you if AD is not shooting at that high of a percentage, then it's going to be easier for teams to really collapse on them because now you have Russ and AD who aren't shooting great. Like, if AD comes down to earth, then now we're going to see mm-hmm. a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Oh, a major difference, actually. Mm-hmm. I'll bet on AD. Oh, you, okay. That's good. I mean, I mean, he's a great player. I'm not going to say you can't bet, bet on him. He's you could Top you could seven player in the NBA. At worst, so top take. seven. At worst, he's better than Luca. I think he's at worst nine. So I said or eight. seven. No, he's at worst nine or eight. Luca's probably six. Is he better than Jokic? Yeah. Steph, Kawhi, Katie, LeBron, Luka, Harden, Giannis. LeBron. Oh, he's debatably better than Harden. That's what I'm saying. It's like at worst, like eight or nine. I'm bro. saying seven. The disrespect, bro. Oh my gosh, to James Harden. It's you ridiculous. said that that AD was the second best player in the NBA. Did you? No, I said he had the second best season. That's different the same, you, same you as player. You walked in the next year. You literally said, uh, this year, AD is the second best player in the league. No. Yeah. After the 20, the 2019-2020 season, mm-hmm. he had the best season. He had the second best season that year. That's what I meant. He had the second best season. Because I go, every year I, I go, I rank players. I go by who had the better season this past year. Mm. You know? So, KD to me is one because of that playoff run. Giannis is two. Steph is three. LeBron is four. That's interesting. Okay. If we're going by who had the best season, oh, Jokic probably would have like a top five season too. So, you know, that's how I rank it. But if you want my who's the better player list, then I will rank it that way too. And James Harden is by far the better <laughs> player than Anthony Davis. By far? I, I agree. Yes, by far. I agree. It's not, I, I, I mean, just take Anthony Davis. I mean, James Harden has finished, what, top two in MVP voting five to six range. last years? He's in my six to four range. Okay. Which Bro, is Harden fine. has finished top five, top no, top two. You said Harden, or you're saying Harden's AD? in my six to four. Ah, years. okay. Harden has finished second or first in MVP voting so he's been, in five of the last six years. Five of the last six years, he's been the first loser. More, okay, got it. I got oh, it. Oh, so that's how you approach it. No, that's really what second place is. What the first loser is it not? Oh, that's how, that's how you approach it. <laughs> no, okay. is it is that not a fact? So though? Steph was it's a, a loser fact. this past year too. Then what you mean? Oh yeah, he was a thousand. He was loser. a loser, but he was also he's also a two time two time. Two time. Wait, MVP. so oh, okay, so I mean, I'm just talking about this season. So that means Steph this past season, first his, loser, his, not his record, team record wise, but he's a loser in terms first, of the season. No, he no, had. no, he was the first loser in the MVP. So running. the season that he had was a losing. Harden was what, like, season. was like an eighth loser. I mean, technically was he like, speaking, did he not? Didn't make the playoffs. Steph Curry didn't have a loser season. His team was. Wait, no, you said losing. Ooh, no, I said loser. Ooh, ooh, ooh. No, I didn't say he didn't have a loser season. I said he in the MVP race he lost. He was a loser in that because he was. 
Harden was like eighth. He was the eighth loser. That's all. Like you're trying to make it. No, a, you're trying to because no, that's you know, not I a see slight. What you're doing. No, yeah, that's it's, not a slight. It's not. It's a funny thing. That's all it is. It's just a giggle. No, that's, that's, a, that's a funny thing that you're trying to knock Harden for. <laughs> no, he's the first The fact loser. is Good that job. you're gonna fear the beard this year when they win the championship. Oh, because he has Katie and Kyrie, yeah. Patty Mills. He's the best player on that team. Wow. But you just yeah. said that Katie's the best player in the NBA. Yeah, you're a weird guy. Two A, two A, one A, one B. It's the same thing. You literally just ranked your guys. You had Curry at three. Season wise, better oh. season wise, yeah. Oh, better player Harden's too. Better player Harden's the best player in the world. Interesting. Still, it's why you both you okay. I got it. No rings. Let's just go to the next topic, please, because we're talking about Brooklyn already. So, <laughs> oh, we're gonna talk about them. Okay, boom. Kyrie Irving, he got into this uh, dilemma with Nick Wright and with the tweet that he published. His original tweet was that my mask is off. <laughs> now, clown now this. take yours off. No fear. <laughs> His follow-up tweet was, mask off means you stop being something you're not and stop lying to yourself. So stop lying to yourself about James Harden not being better than AD, okay, Drew? It's the <laughs> moment you discover the real you and can walk around with no fear. In a society man. that shows a lot, of a lot of the mask people wear to hide who they truly are. Nothing COVID rule-related. Relax. I like what Kyrie's saying. You know, I personally take my mask off. I put my beard on. I, I, look, if you look to the left of here, I got a Houston Jersey Rockets and I got a Harden shirt that's on the Nets well, logo. They, can't see, they it. can't see it, but look to the left. I rep James Harden all day. My mask is off. He's my guy, no doubt about it. So he's telling you, take your mask off, man. Take your mask off. He's telling you, stop, stop talking about AD in this way, man. Take <laughs> your mask off. So what do you think Kyrie really meant by this tweet, though? Do you think that you know his original tweet was a way of him being like? I mean it in this way, but I'm going to tweet it this way because I know that's how people are going to react to it. Or do you think this was an honest mistake about Kyrie? No, I a thousand percent believe Kyrie meant it in that weird, deep, mental, bro, show show you real. I really think he meant it in that way because Kyrie is just that type of guy. Not the COVID, right? Yeah, not the yeah, COVID. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he could have worked. The, the wording just at this time right now, the situation and what it is, telling people to take your mask off, it, it was just a bad timing. But in that deep man, like – Show no fears. Show who you really are. I truly believe Kyrie meant that because he is that type of guy. You know, he gets deep into things. Mm -hmm. and he, you know, he's on, you know, he's on IG Live with Katie with his legs crossed. <laughs> he has a little, uh, the bell. And he's talking about, I'm you. Like, he's, uh, yeah, he's like, like, I don't know. He he just be on some USA. Yeah. That's, I, I don't think he meant it in any slight or any disrespect to COVID mm -hmm. or anybody who had COVID. I know people brought up Kat because he's lost family members, but I don't think Kyrie. Kyrie has shown that he is a very caring person. He's a very loving person. For real. He has love for everybody. So I don't think he meant it in that way. He truly meant some other deep meaning. He had no disrespect to COVID or nothing like that. So I wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? I, I trust Kyrie in this situation. This isn't the first time that Kyrie's words have gotten taken out of context. And especially with a tweet or, or a message I say it all the time. When I'm texting someone, I'd rather call someone because I could hear their tone of voice. I can get another explanation because I could immediately follow. What do you mean by that? But you can tell by how someone means something by their tone of voice. And a tweet, obviously, you're only getting what you're, obviously, what is being said in the tweet. Nothing else, nothing more. So people can take it and, and run the whole mile with it. The fact that he tweeted this, this tweet, and I think eight hours later, he provided that whole explanation after means to me that, Oh, P like obviously it was brought to his attention that people are saying that he's against COVID. And so he just had to give some explanation. But ultimately, Kyrie had, like you mentioned, Kyrie just has a certain way of viewing things. And I don't ultimately think that he wanted to take a shot at COVID. 
obviously he was trying to well that that had a whole different aspect that he was trying to get the league canceled but that was due to social injustice and that's why he wanted to not go back with the nba but he he had already been taking some 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 time off and already and, and people are, are taking shots at him so he's used to this but something as minor as this he could have just provided a simple explanation like he did so i'm cool with it I, i'm not thinking too much about it Kyrie irving it's not the first time he's been involved in something controversial. We, it's kind of like we talk about Kyrie in this light more than we talk about him as a basketball player. Uh, reading this tweet, my mask is off. Now take yours off. No fear. At any point in time, like this tweet would be fine. I wouldn't think much of it. But the fact that we are in a pandemic. <laughs> it's and, so bad. <laughs> and, and the fact that... He tweets this and you said it, you know, he does a lot of community work. Mm -hmm. He's probably outside a lot. He knows COVID rules and, you know, how this stuff works. I can assure that Kyrie knows that the pandemic is going on. I can assure that Kyrie knows the the uh, importance of the the importance of what people have said the masks do and all this other stuff. I'm sure he knows that. So for him to say my mask is off now, take yours off. No fear. That sounds like a metaphor, but it's also a horrible way of Kyrie in terms of reading the room. He didn't read the room in this situation. Knowing that we are in a pandemic and you're tweeting this out, you know how people are going to take it. You know, it's something where these Kyrie has millions of followers. I guarantee you whenever he tweets something, he's not like a random guy tweeting where they don't think about what they tweet and they just hit send. He, he thinks about it. Then he sends it. Maybe he was like listening to a podcast or reading a book. And I guess that's a quote that popped up and he just wanted to tweet it instantaneously. But I can assure that he does think about what he tweets. There is no way, at least that I believe that he tweeted this without knowing what people would think of it. Agreed. But am I upset at the tweet? I'm not. And and the reason I'm not upset at the tweet is because I think we live in a society where and that's such a cliche saying we live in a society where, but on social media, especially difference of opinions, they aren't allowed anymore. You know, people get chastised and whether you believe that people should get chastised for having certain views on COVID or mask, or whatever, that's your own decision to make. But if Kyrie tweets this, when he tweeted this, I saw like 5,000 quote tweets. And when you see that many quote tweets, you know that, People aren't vibing with what he's saying. I feel like people pay too much attention to what other people do nowadays. Like if I would see this tweet pop up, I wouldn't care. You know, too many people care right now. They, they care too much about what a celebrity is saying or a radio host is saying or whatever somebody else is saying instead of just like living their life. There's everybody always wants to criticize something and I don't think Kyrie meant this in a malicious way that I think he didn't read the room correctly. Yeah. But at the same time, why is everybody so hell bent or mad about this? And this isn't the first time that I've seen something similar. Like, you know, Cole Beasley, when he has his stance on COVID or getting a vaccine, whenever that comes out on Twitter, everybody quote tweets it. And there's a thousand quote tweets to that. And it's like, man, like, why are you chastising these guys for their decisions on what they want to do? Like, if they don't want to do something, can I think that, you know, you're kind of ill-informed? I can think that, but why do I have to voice my opinion on what you choose to do with 
your body or how you choose to express yourself. You know, we don't do that in any other aspect of the world right now, or we don't, with, with, I, with topics, we don't do that. Like if somebody has certain topics on politics or let's say abortion or these things like that, we let that kind of rock. But when it comes to like COVID or master things in terms of the medical field, everybody's so quick to be malicious towards you and your stance. But with everything else, we, we aren't this. And I don't think, you know, if somebody doesn't want to get a shot or doesn't want to wear a mask, is it hateful? I don't think it's hateful. So I, I think that's just somebody's personal choice. Yeah. This is tough because I don't like talking about this topic personally. Uh, like you mentioned, it, it is your choice. But at the same time, it's a tough subject because obviously people have been affected by this in more ways than others. So for that reason alone, I just like to stay away from it. I am vaccinated. I do wear my mask when I'm told to wear my mask. I don't complain about it because it just makes things easier, truthfully, to just comply with what's being said. If it's not hurting me physically, I'm going to continue to to abide by whatever guidelines are being put in place because there are people smarter than me at their field of things that they're studying that obviously have more information than I do. So why not just comply if it's not going to affect me physically, or mentally, emotionally, Especially when people are dying. Especially why I don't like to talk about this is because there. you're right. You're saying it perfectly. There are so many people that care about what you're saying. It just gets difficult to a degree sometimes because, again, people have been affected by this so strongly. I, I know what you're saying, and this is where I push back on it. I'm not talking about getting rid of guidelines or anything no, like I that. No, I understand. And I don't think that people that choose not to get vaccinated are saying they are they want to get rid of guidelines. You know, I understand the guidelines are there. I think it's about like, okay, if you understand the guidelines are there, you can't go into restaurants without a mask or things like that. I think that's all totally fine. That is valid, more than valid. But if somebody chooses not to wear a mask of course, they have their liberty stripped in terms of going to these restaurants. And that's a consequence that you pay yep. for not abiding by the rules. And I believe there are consequences to be paid, especially during the time of pandemic. So if you aren't following these guidelines, you do lose your liberties. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're making that decision, I'm not going to try to throw even more backlash in I your agree. way. I agree you with know, that. Because sentiment. for me, it's like, okay, I know what I do. I know what I want to do. If you feel differently about your stance on it, I, I'm the type of person that just goes like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I listen because I'm not as, I feel like on social media, especially everybody's so dismissive. If you don't, if I don't agree with you and I agree with Riv, okay, this is the person's tweets that I'm seeing. <laughs> Every single time you come up, I'm going to bash you. I'm going to troll you. I'm just never going to try to see your point of view. I think especially in this age, we have lost the ability to talk to one another and see people's point of views because on social media, all we get are algorithms that kind of that reflect what we believe in our ideologies. We don't get anything else. So because of that, you never see the other side. I think there are a lot of reasons why people don't do the things that they don't do, you know, religious purposes or internal beliefs or a lot of stuff that could, you know, have, have went on in their lives. That's why I don't judge in that way. I think everybody's way too judgy on this subject. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Kyrie got so much backlash for it kind of proves that everybody jumps the gun and nobody learns the context behind things. You know, as soon as something is out there, people 
pounce on it and they don't care about whether it's a, you know, a metaphor or, you know, an ideology or something you just thought of and wanted to share. They immediately say, okay, that is wrong. You know, this is why Kyrie's a horrible human being. This is why he's such a diva and all this other stuff. Instead of just, you know, stepping back and being like, okay, what did he really mean? You know, people take things way too literal. It's crazy because they was actually we was actually trying to go to this paint shop like last week, and we couldn't get in because you need a vaccinated vaccination card, and you had to be vaccinated. And I was like, "Fuck, bro!" So I couldn't get into that shit. That's what I, that's why it's funny how you brought that up. Like you, uh, like it's okay. Like I don't say no to guidelines. Like I'll walk outside with my mask if you need me to put my mask when I go in the building. Yeah, that's cool. Like I don't. I don't have a problem with the mask. I don't even have a problem when they say you need to be vaccinated to go in the building. That's understandable. Like you, you feel com- you you want to feel comfortable in a place you work at. I get it. So, but people, you're right. People do care too much about what other people say, or they don't. They feel like they're bigger than the conversation. Like we can't sit here and have a debate, or sit here and have com- and communicate, or forget about a debate. Just yeah, a flat just out have conversation. a conversation, like and throw each other ideas and up. For in the example, air. like you weren't able to get into that building, you know. That's the decision that you made. I could do a fit. Exactly. Like, I have a problem with people that they aren't a, their their liberties are stripped because they didn't follow guidelines, and then they throw a fit. Like now you're in the wrong because yeah. you knew this was the rule, you didn't follow it, yet you think you should be entitled to this sort of treatment. For sure. That's where I have a problem with it. But if you're okay with not going in the building and you don't care much about going in there, and you're like, okay, I can't go in here. You know, whatever. I'll, I'll just do something else yeah. to do. You know, as long as you're not harming anybody in that way or being malicious, no, I'm okay no with it. But you know, people, a lot of people that aren't that aren't vaccinated or just speak their opinion about this subject, a lot of them get chastised for it. When I just think it is a personal decision. Like a lot of people, some people are really scared of needles. There's you know? people. There's people though that have actually judged me and like. Belittle me because I haven't got to like, vac- like there are some people that are scared of needles. There are some people that because of religious purposes, they don't get it. There are some people because of conspiracy theories. They don't get it. You know, it's the only it's a people bunch of that things. I have issues with that don't get a vaccine are the conspiracy theories guys. If you tell me straight up, why, if I ask you, why didn't you get the shot? Just me curious. And you say, I just didn't want it. I would rather that answer than you come up with some nonsense that you read on social <laughs> media. Like. Oh, it's a it's a microchip. They're tracking <laughs> us. We're all gonna turn to zombies. This is the end of the world. Like, I would rather you tell me straight up. I just didn't want it. I don't want it. I don't feel comfortable. Not yet. It's too soon. And, and okay? sometimes it's it's just a it's just a product of people being lazy. That's you know? it. That is a thousand. Like, for example, you can easily go online and see how I many know. people have been affected by the COVID shot. There are people that get the shot and are allergic and do have reactions. That's everything, that, of course. And I, I've had some people tell me that's the reason they haven't gotten a shot. I mean, there is caution. You know, Correct. it is new. Yep. it is new. And so. you don't know that you're allergic to what's in the vaccine until you get the vaccine. They tell you right after you get the vaccine, you got to wait 15 minutes. That 15 minutes could spark a reaction that you don't, that obviously you're not ready for. Mm-hmm. When I got my vaccine shot, there was some some dude having a, a, a big episode where he felt like he couldn't breathe. Mm. So then I started to feel like all panicky, yeah, yeah. like, yo, this is going to happen to me. But then ultimately, I, that was the one person that had some kind of reaction. It could happen to anyone. And you don't know until you get it. So obviously, like I said, it's not the biggest deal if you just tell me straight up, I don't want it, it's too soon, I don't know the benefits or the risk yet, that's fine. But don't come up with some nonsense. That's the only thing that I have issues with. 
And I agree with that as well. And I, that's why I think, you know, for example, some of it is a product of being lazy. Like for me, I, I don't have a driver's license right now. Like I haven't, I have to get my official one. I have like my probationary. I have to get my real driver's license. HPD. He's lying. He has it. Go ahead. <laughs> Yo, bro. Like, and I haven't gotten my new one in like a month or two. Yeah. And it's not because I don't want to get it. It's because I'm just lazy. Yeah. I'm just not, I, I just haven't, the DMV is just a hell, bro. But I'll tell you, you know? what's crazy. Be careful, bro. You go into that DMV, a cop will be waiting right there for you. They love to do that. Right as you're going to the DMV, the cops right there picking off inspections because it's an easy way to get tickets. The place to get my vaccine, I can get it. It's right up the block. I just don't be, you know what I'm saying? I'll be a busy bird, so I just don't be having so bro, time. You get it when you get it. Like, it is what it is. And that's why I think this, it kind of got a little bit overblown what Kyrie did, you know, but I think it, it leads to like a more deeper subject that we could talk about, you know, it's for It's funny my whole family has it too. It's just me. What is it? You don't mind me. I mean, you're on the we're on the show. You gotta talk no, you about can, it, bro. You know me. I don't. I know, but no, nah, it's just. So um, why haven't you got it? Two things. Um, I don't really know much about it, and I'm like extremely lazy. Like I haven't sat down and really got the time to really research it, and I probably won't. I'm probably just gonna end up getting it just because people around me. I want them to you know be safe and stuff like that. But I just haven't really had. Every time I like realistically like no funny shit. When I go home, I sleep. I try to get as much sleep as possible because. When I wake busy. up, yeah, yeah, it's time to really do things. So I haven't really got a chance to go get it, you know. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's a valid explanation. I mean, you work a lot. You work 40 hours a week, so. 40. Bro, I work like 64 hours a week in like a span of like four days. And plus the podcast. So that's a lot of time, you know. A lot of people also got jobs and they, yo, like they have to take care of a lot of stuff and they can't go out and get something like that, so. I mean, I understand multiple explanations. I don't judge anybody. I think no, for sure, it's not. I just think right now people are too judgy about everybody else and you know what they got going on. And it's been like that before COVID. You mentioned abortion. You mentioned politics. If I'm being being honest, though, people will scrutinize you for your for those type of. That's true, and And that's why I I stay clear. But for example, like the abortion thing, like my body, my choice type of thing. So this was a good argument because I'm more of a like. I can understand some Republican arguments and some liberal arguments. I understand them both. So, for example, the my body, my choice abortion stance. It's liberals that are kind of on that stance. And Republicans obviously think different about it because they have like religious belief tied into it. So, like, what's the difference between abortion, my body, my choice and like a vaccination? Like, because vaccinations like liberals think that at that point it's not my body my choice anymore no liberals are in support of the vaccine yeah they're supporting the vaccines and if you don't get it they chastise you ah okay I understand so that's what, what i'm saying, saying so, that, so with abortion it's okay my body my choice but with the vaccine it's no you you get it or we're gonna like hate on you for I, it i will say we're, we're getting deep and we gotta be careful me personally i think as a man we don't hold the child we should not have that choice. I agree, in, vo- in voting. So I, I agree. these congressmen that have voted and passed these laws, we're getting away from sports. We got to. This is the last we'll say. These congressmen that vote, that are men that have voted to ban abortion, in my opinion, should not have a voice in I this agree. situation. If anyone's going to be voting, it should be women in Congress. Yeah, I agree. But my, but, my whole what you're saying is like, with the whole with, with, with my the, body so and my body, vaccine, my choice, right. should, my body, my choice should work all around. Like. If you if these like Democrats and leftists believe that your body, your choice when it comes to abortion, 
then it's your body, your choice when it comes to wanting to get a vaccine. Like, if you don't want to get a vaccine, I mean, it's not, I mean, a va- getting a, not getting a yeah, vaccine. That's, that's a good Not Not question. getting a vaccine. I slightly disagree, but I'll talk later. With the not, abortion thing? Yeah, not yeah. getting a vaccine is not the end of the world. But Dave Chappelle said it best. If you have the choice to get an, or get an abortion, then I have the choice to not support it. That's what I was going to say. That is, that's as funny as it is, it's kind of a true sentiment. For example, like, we're, we're going to get deep and real right now. When you're getting a vaccine or you're not getting one, you're, you know, you can say you're putting other people at harm too, but at the same time, it's really your decision and you can either, it can either negatively affect it or not. You know what I'm saying? Because as long as you have the vaccine yourself, I don't know too much about the scientifics of it, but you shouldn't be affected. But for example, like abortion, you're actually taking somebody's life. Mm-hmm. So the fact that somebody doesn't want these like Democrats don't want you to get a vaccine that is not going to like kill you mm-hmm. or hypothetically probably won't have the effect on other people that they think it's going to have, but yet they're okay with like abortion. I think that kind of counteracts your original argument. It's a good point. You know, if they think like oh, you're if, making more than valid sense, if my body, my choice is for abortion, it should work for COVID too, sure, and, and vaccine or flu, va- flu shots, anything whatever. with your body, it should work. So you, so you should be com- you should be okay with anybody's belief or right to believe that they want to get something or they don't, they, they don't want to get something. Yeah. And usually it's like the people on the left too. I, I'm, I know I'm picking on the left, but Republicans <laughs> have a lot of shit wrong with them too. But it's the shit that it's like leftists are like, okay, with the vaccine, we're going to chastise you if you don't get it abortion we're all for it and then other things of expression we're all for it as well like either transgenders or whatever anything progressive you know we're all for it as well so you guys are okay with all these different type of beliefs that these people have here and i'm not saying any of them are wrong personally i don't care like believe what you want i'm just saying you're okay with all this but you're not okay with this if somebody chooses to not get a shot you're not okay with that and I think that's where it kind of gets into like deep waters of there's a deeper question of why they aren't okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a deeper question. And if their reason for not being okay with it is because it puts other people at risk or yourself at risk, well, then why do you care if I'm at risk? And if you do care if somebody else is at risk, why don't you care that these, uh, these people that are getting abortions aren't bringing a life into this world, too? Because that's also putting somebody at risk um, of not honestly of not living a life. So it gets into a whole bunch of like spider web of ideas and topics that, you know, people can talk about. But ultimately, that's where I kind of stand on things that, you know, you should have the same ideology across the board and not just for certain subjects. It gets tough because obviously there's certain situation when it comes to abortion that if a woman decides to get an abortion, it makes more than valid sense. If she's sexually assaulted, of course, if rape is a strong word. I don't like to use it, but it's real life things that occur. And a child comes from that horrible issue. If a, a woman is having some kind of substance abuse, another thing that they don't want to put their child through. I, the one thing that you're, that you're saying that makes sense is the, you know, they, they want to remain consistent. But at the same time, I feel like they're just trying to look out for everyone. Yeah. And that's why I'm not too against the, you know, my body, my choice, as opposed to, you know, get the vaccine or you're a horrible person. I don't think that way personally, but they're looking, they're trying to look out for everyone. And they feel as if the vaccine is going to be beneficial to everyone. 
And I feel like with similar to abortion, they're looking out for women and, yeah, like, and that decision there. Yeah, like for me, I, I agree with a lot of ideologies on both sides. There's some things that, you know, liberals and Democrats say that I'm like, OK, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that, you know, Republicans say that I'm like, OK, it makes sense as well. So I can understand both sides of the argument. For me, I'm more like in terms of like the ethics of things and the moral compass of things, I side more with like Democrats and their beliefs on on things. But like in terms of like fiscal policies, I'm more of like a right leaning person. So you're a moderate. Yeah, I am a moderate. Yeah, I, I would probably say I'm I'm probably a moderate, more so lean liberal. Neither. I don't really do the politics stuff. I mean, I don't really claim myself as I I really don't probably, care. that's if well I had said. to claim something, I'll probably claim whatever my dad is, so a Democrat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like obviously lower taxes is super firm, but caring about the lives of others, that's more liberals, which makes no sense to me. Everyone should care about that. So that's why I'm probably more liberal in that sense, because Republicans moral compass seems to differ. Yeah. From what my beliefs are. And that's the biggest thing for me. So on to the last topic. We know we went, we went on a tangent, but we're going to talk about John Wall, the Rockets seeking a trade and potential teams that he can go to and what it means for Houston. So the Rockets came out and said that John Wall and them are working on the trade to get out of Houston. He has two years and over $90 million left on his deal. And the Rockets have told John Wall, listen, you can show up for training camp. That's fine. But... We don't want you to play in the regular season. So, John Wall. You a call from the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> so John Wall is not I going to. It. John Wall is not going to play one game in the regular season for Houston, regardless if he's traded or not. Which means he could make forty million dollars for, for doing free. nothing, yeah. not even playing or doing his job. What teams do you think can can use John Wall right now on their roster, and? What does this mean for Houston, for Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green's development? What do you think it means? I'll start with you, Ruth. Well, for starters, shout out to Houston, you know, because they're showing that they care about their players. You know, this is, I think this is they did that with Boogie, too. They tried to find him a destination. Same thing with Harden. They came to an agreement that they'll find him the place he wants to go to. And then with John Wall, you know, telling him he doesn't want to buy out. And they said they'll find the best thing available for you. We're going to work with you to get a trade. So shout out to organizations that do that. Kevin Porter Jr. will be the one this year, so I think that's great. You know, you get your young guys in. Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green is going to be the backcourt for the next 10-plus years for these guys, hopefully. So this is great. They st- Steven Silas starts with his young guys. He gets to groom them, and, you know, they get to develop, and that's great for them. Now, for John Wall, you know, it's tricky because for the question, what teams can use him? I'm sure a lot of teams can use him, but cap-wise, how does it work? You know what I'm saying? I think... Cap-wise, probably the Clippers are the only team. You know, I think John Wall is better than Bledsoe. I think he'd be great for them. He looks like he wants to be on a contender. But for teams that could use him, obviously the Clippers could have used him. You know, the Bucks could have used him. He would have been great. Miami could have used him. I think that would have been a great addition for them. But I think ultimately the Clippers are probably the lone team, lone playoff team that can make a a move for him, you know, I'm thinking maybe... Quick question. Reggie Jackson's uh, emergence, I'm saying, but his emergence, it wouldn't allow you to lean a little bit to giving Reggie a little bit more opportunity? Because once you bring in John Wall, obviously, he loses that... Loses what? That opportunity. I don't think so, because I think Reggie still starts. I think he still starts, but John Wall's not coming off the bench. 
John Wall is going to come he's off gonna the bench. He's going to come off the bench, yeah. Now, At this point in his career, I think he knows what he... I think he's okay with he anything. He was solid on the Rockets last season. I think he's season. okay with anything as long as he's playing on a contender. Now, because the team I could see him going to would be... You mentioned Cap. Obviously, it would be difficult. If he were to go to the Celtics, he would probably start. Oh, yeah, he smart. would. Yeah, I, he, yeah would. he would. He would. But that's I why I asked. I pretty dedicated to Smart at the one. But they've had... Kemba, Kemba or Smart starting? Who would you rather? Which Kemba am I getting? Let's say this season, right? Who would you rather have? Kemba. The Kemba. thing is, I would personally rather Smart for my team. But ultimately, for what he's done already as that six-man role, I'm cool with starting Kemba. Right. Now, similarly, John Wall coming in, I think John Wall probably could start. It's John Wall and, and yeah. Kemba Walker, at this point in time, it's splitting hairs. I probably... I don't know. I probably lean Kemba because he's healthier, but John Wall is a better basketball player, in my opinion. Okay. So regardless of that, I think John Wall would fit the Celtics as opposed to the to the Clippers, just because you add another scorer to to the Celtics. Obviously, they could use okay. more scoring outside of Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, Marcus Smart isn't as consistent as a scorer as John Wall has been, and then to the Clippers now. Reggie Jackson emerged this postseason. Like he really showed the Clippers that he could be a solid piece for them for the for few years to come now. Kawhi's not going to be there. Which is why I think they need John Wall. A 29 guy. He's better than Bledsoe by far. No, he sport. is better than Bledsoe. And I think they need another guy like that. But we we know Marcus Morris has the ability to score. He's a, he's a solid yeah. scoring option. Paul George obviously is going to be the primary ball scorer on this team. Reggie Jackson showed he could be a number two option on a, on a winning team. He won some games. It was close between the Suns, of course, yeah. but he played a huge part in that Utah series and them getting past Utah. So I don't know if I would step on Reggie's toes and bringing in another point guard to you know squabble minutes with, but I feel it makes a little bit more sense given the fact that Marcus has already understood his role on the Celtics. You know, I agree with that, but I, the Clippers were one of my teams that I had. I also had Boston because I think he would be a good fit. He would be a true point guard for Boston with Tatum and Brown and Horford there, that would be a pretty solid team. I think Horford wouldn't go, though, to, to fill the cap. True. Oh, that's right. That's true. And they do have Moses but I, Brown. I'm, th- I'm thinking about no, this. No, Moses Brown is on Dallas. Ah, I forgot I'm they thinking moved of, him. I'm thinking about this as a buyout option. Okay. And Houston has said they, they don't want to buy out John Wall, and I understand it, but I don't think any team is going to trade for John Wall given his contract. For sure. Another team I thought about was Philly. Mm. You know, Interesting. I, I think Philly... If they lose Ben Simmons, they need a point guard, and John Wall could play well with Joel Embiid if he stays healthy. But, you know, would Philly do a trade of trading Ben Simmons and for John Wall and some more pieces? Would, let me ask you a question. Because Eric Gordon, maybe John Wall, Eric Gordon, and Daniel House or they something would need like that. Do you, player, think, do you think Bledsoe and Kennard is enough? That's no. 40 mil right there. No. Well, 31. That's 31 mil. To get mils. him, you're saying? To get John Wall. Man, I don't think so. For I think John Wall is a little... But at this point, I think Houston just wants to get rid of John Wall. Yeah. That's why I and feel Bledsoe's like... was on a one-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. And Kennard's a good player. The best option would be a buyout for the Rockets as a whole. Well, probably not the, be- the best option for the Rockets, because obviously you want to get that cap off your team. But getting him off your team would probably be the best option, because now you commit to the young guys. Yep. Christian Wood becomes the, the focal point of this offense. He allow, he's able to finally get the keys to be the probably the leader, the primary best player on the team with guys like KPJ. Now, like you mentioned, who's going to have the keys to 
facilitate the offense however he pleases. After last season, I have more than enough confidence he can do so. And Jalen Green now is going to have more opportunity to score the basketball. I just love the idea of committing to the young guys and 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 thinking more long-term in this sense because John Wall is not going to benefit these guys' development as opposed to them you know, grinding it out together and trying to learn through these years to come. I think Kevin Porter Jr. is going to be in a great situation now that John Wall is not there. He is by far the point guard of your this eye? team. Yeah. Something in your eye? Yeah. I think he's by far the point guard of this team. There's no doubt about it. And last year he averaged 17 and 7 doing just that. So now getting John Wall off the team and him being able to flourish in that role, I think he'll be very good in it. You know, sure. could we see KPJ win most improved player? I think it's possible. It's in the cards. It could happen. Definitely behind RJ Barrett in that sense, but it could happen <laughs> if he's there. So Kevin Porter Jr., I think this this is great for the young guys. Not even just KPJ and Jalen Green, but Josh Christopher, who they just drafted. Defense. Needs minutes as oh, well. Man. So, you know, I think John Wall is if he doesn't get traded, he'll get bought out. And if he, if it's not one of those, he'll just sit out and make the entire all the money. Eric Gordon is the name to watch for because I think Eric Gordon, they can actually trade for a pick or two or some good pieces. Yep. Eric Gordon could be flipped. He's he's a good player still. And he would help out a contender a ton, but this is good for Houston just sure. sticking to their young guys and investing in them. There's for the really future. a high chance he sits the whole year and just makes forty four. I don't want to see him. But Houston, sit and thing is, Houston's okay with that. I know, which is they're just which is fine, which is fine with me, obviously. But at the same time, I want to see better to see John Wall play. Yeah, yeah I agree. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Pixar Podcast, episode one hundred thirteen. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Pickaside Podcast, on Twitter at Pickaside Pod. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time.